Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, one and all. I see I've been joined by Sir James of Coburn. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Glad to hear it. Uh, this is an exciting time of year, sometimes a disappointing time of year if you're one of those young people who thought they were going to be spending some time in beautiful Indianapolis and instead will be working out hard to prove them wrong and show I'm them. Blow the combine, man. I'm going to blow up the combine. <laughs> I'm going to leave early. I'm going to blow up the combine. I'm going to get drafted in the second or first round. What's going to happen? Yes. Yes. And it's not an impossible thing. We all look at the running and the jumping and the timings and the whatevers, but for guys like Marcus Peters and things like that, uh, and a few other guys, what really is going to be important for the Paul Dawsons and a few other guys is what goes on in behind closed doors late at night where coaches and other people pepper them with questions and probe them and try to find out what kind of tree they'd want to be and you know all kinds of other fascinating questions. And we may laugh at some of those psychological screenings and other things, but then when you look at Josh Gordon, right? I mean, there's a sometimes a reason. Hold on a minute here. Hold hold on though. That, there, there's <laughs> conspiracy theory. Josh Gordon. I mean, he got a lot of stuff in common with me. He said NFL went after him, <laughs> you know, because he didn't smoke no weed. He didn't smoke any more weed, and he still got messed up. They still got him. The system got him. The system got him. And once again, the testing regimen is not all-knowing and perfect. It's not impossible that something may have happened, but if they did target him, there was a reason he was targeted. You, he wasn't able to pick history out of drug stuff, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. right. His name wasn't picked out of a hat. And there he was, was some doing codeine syrup as well, and he's just like, yeah. oh, well, I was prescribed codeine syrup. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, your grandmama, you know, your mother's on them, you know. Um, I don't know, but it's just, uh, it's just, it's easy to say, oh, I was prescribed. It was like, yeah, you could be prescribed weed in California, but that doesn't mean the league lets you do it. So exactly, uh, you can be prescribed steroids for fifty or sixty different for, ailments. Yeah, for, 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 right, right, yeah. Doesn't mean you can do it in the league, so. Yeah, but the bottom line is, yeah, that that's definitely a big part of the combine is uh, interviews. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like before a political campaign, you go, all right, so how many how many prostitutes and hookers do you frequent? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> we know about one of them, so who are the other ones? We gotta know. We gotta know this information. You know about Lisa? Yeah, we know about Lisa. So tell us, who else? Who else? <laughs> Got to take care of this before the campaign starts, because otherwise they're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's what's about, man. It's time to find out everything. The funny thing is, you're actually right. I mean, it is. A, there is a lot like that. It is very much like that to a certain extent. There's a lot of almost like 
Marxist-Leninist self-recrimination. That's where the interviews go anyway. You know, now, I know they make fun of it, but it really is that. A lot of times when you're interviewing these guys, you kind of want to talk to them like a cop. You know, like, hey, we understand, man, if you wanted to rob the place, but, you know, what, what else could you do? You know, just tell us everything. And you know, and we'll, we'll we'll know, and then we can fix it. Just tell us, <laughs> you know. And then you go, all right. all right, these guys got my back. You know, these guys, yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah you guys are gonna kind of help. All right, all right. And then you tell them everything, and then they go, yeah, let's not trap this guy. You're like, well, I told you everything. Yeah, I, we know you told us everything. You know, <laughs> oh shit, next time, yeah. Yeah, there's clearly there's a double-edged sword. You do want to be forthcoming, uh, and nowadays, particularly the the top-rated guys, go through a pretty similar, what are you gonna call it, process. You know, before they actually get to the real deal, their agent and the trainers, not physical, but sort of more of the media whatever you want to call them, the people who are PR, whatever you want to call them, the people who deal with, okay, here's what's going to happen when you get there. <laughs> here's what's going to happen. You're going to be asked these questions about this. Here's how you handle that. There's a lot that goes into being a, a top pro prospect nowadays. And, yeah, part of it's physical and there's a whole bunch of different things. I mean, you remember the whole Des Bryant thing. And Des wasn't so much a character concern in the sense of, Doing bad stuff. He wasn't choking people. He wasn't robbing people. He just had a people. bad back. You know, that's what that was. You know, yeah, at least right, right. you know he came from the foster system. Had a bunch of you know his mom was, you know, had problems right. with that. Had right. he had problems. He had problems. You know, yeah. and usually people who have problems get in trouble. Now he never really ever got in trouble criminally, but no. No, he did close. do a lot of stuff that was very you know. Um, like what's from you know impulsive basically. Yes. So yes. Impulsive. You know. And it's funny. I was talking to Robin Vanderberg, who has sort of an interesting social service background, and she brought up the whole foster care group home. She brought up a few names, and it's funny because I hadn't drawn the comparison before. But she said, you know, Des Bryant, James Winston. She named some other guys. Look at their behavior. Look at their impulse control or lack of lack thereof. And I thought to myself, huh, maybe there's something to that. <laughs> um, you do see certain types of attention-getting behaviors and certain types of – these are people whose childhoods were interrupted in a way or suspended or whatever term you want to use, uh, not fully completed in the way somebody else's might have been had they been in a more... Yeah, they didn't get enough love, they didn't get enough, you know, attention. attention I, I compare right. it, I don't I don't want to compare people to, to puppies or anything, but, you know, there's certain puppies from the pound that, you know, because of that environment, they always bark whenever you go around another dog because they think that, oh, you're going to leave me for that dog, you know? Right. So there's right. a lot of... Really, I mean, when you're a foster kid or you're this or you're that, it's a very unstable environment. You don't know who's who. You don't trust very many people usually because you go through so many different parents that it's, you know, 
that, yeah, you want attention. You want people to, to love you. At the same time, you're always, you always get that foot out in the door as well. So it's, yeah, it messes you up, man, <laughs> you know, emotionally. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it can cause, it cause you to be, you know, attention, you know, yeah, attention seeking and, you know, stuff like that. And just, you know, you're always, you never feel stable. So you're always, you know, there's, there's always something that's going to happen, you know, with somebody because you don't, you know, they're not your parents. First, first of all, they're not your parents. And, you know, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, sometimes you really need to get away from your parents because they're bad, but it's just with your parents, at least they know that you, you're half of them. So there's that sort of, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that attachment. Like, you know, even though you're at least ha- I at least know that you're mine, basically. You know, when you're with other people who don't have that same level of attachment, it's, bonds get made, but sometimes they don't. So it's, you know, but yeah, I mean, I can see that, especially with Des Bryant. But, you know, hey, you, get, you went above yeah. it. Shouldn't have talked to Deion Sanders, though. That's all the problem. <laughs> well, <laughs> see, here's the problem. When guys like Ray Lewis or Deion Sanders or, or to a slightly lesser extent, Michael Irvin, these guys make themselves, but Tony, with Tony Dungy, I guess it's a little more legitimized, but they make themselves the sort of mentor slash life coach slash father figures to these young men who desperately are seeking father figures. It can be a sticky situation, right? So Yeah. Right? So yeah. Des, is a, Des is a free agent, but he knows he's loved in Dallas. And I'm not going to say I'll be shocked if he leaves, but I'll be surprised if he leaves. Because I don't know if you if – you, I mean, I'm sure the other teams will say that they'll love him too, but as you just put out, there's trust issues, you know. Um, will he feel the same love someplace else? And will they love him the same way someplace else and all that good stuff? And Dallas has really put a lot of resources, even beyond financial ones, into death uh, to try to – Oh, yeah. Him. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And not every team's going to do that. Even the teams that say they're going to do it, they don't really mean it. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't really understand quite what they're signing. Some of them don't understand quite what they'd be signing up for. Some of them probably do. Um, probably the ones who have close friends on Dallas' staff probably have a pretty good idea of what they'd be signing up for. It's like, yeah, that kid's talented, but, and they probably have a good idea. But some of the other teams probably don't fully understand what you're unpacking when you when you take someone with that particular type of baggage. And because of the world in which we live, there's an increasing number of these young guys in the draft. And I don't know Marcus Peters' family background, so I need to probably do a little research. I don't know what his story is in terms of that. But I wouldn't be shocked if there was something in his, fam- in his family or in his childhood or in his whatever where he was made to suspect that people weren't what they said they were <laughs> uh, or something. Because there's clearly some stuff going on with him. And there's some other guys. I mean, character, there's going to be some guys where the stuff hasn't come out, and they're going to slide, quote, unquote, mysteriously. And people will be asking, gosh, how is, why is so-and-so there in the third round? Why, why is so-and-so there in the Exactly. Like, like with Jalen Strong. And, um, I, heard, yeah. I heard from a little bird, heard from a little bird that he might have. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I heard from a similar little bird that he might be familiar with some, some things that, I mean, and what we just talked about earlier, what some teams go through with some of their, maybe the most talented players on their team, or maybe the most talented player on their team, getting into certain kinds of trouble. 
that doesn't just mess you up in the quote-unquote normal way, like we're missing this guy. It also means that the other guys on the team are thinking, what the heck? You know, that was like our best player, that he's, he's choosing this over us? Wow. Like that, people like to pretend that professional athletes, I mean, they are different from the rest of us in certain ways, but if you had a really talented coworker who was just screwing it up repeatedly, seemingly with no concern for how it's affecting the rest of you, even if they got everything straightened out later, and everyone says, hey, we'll you know, take so-and-so back with open arms when they're ready to stop screwing up all the time, there's got to be a place. And First of all, not everybody's going to feel that way. But even if they say it and they all think they mean it, there's going to be a time when you're going to be mad and something's going to happen and you'll be thinking, you know, that wouldn't have happened if you'd been here. You know, if you, that wouldn't have happened if, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation if we hadn't gotten used to doing everything without you and now you're... There's family dynamic. People always talk about teams being families, and it's usually, you know, not exactly true um, because, you know, there are some differences between football teams and families, but there are some similarities. There's usually a dad, and in some cases the dad is sort of a stern, uh, commanding, demanding parent. Sometimes it's a fun parent. But, like, if you've got, you know, Pete Carroll, you've got fun dad, Right? Um, and he's still tough. He still demands. He still wants you to get good grades and clean up your room and excel at sports and all that good stuff. But he's also the one that'll say, you know, okay, mom said such and such, but I'm gonna let you stay up later. I'm gonna let you drive the car. I'm gonna let you, you know, here's here's twenty bucks. Don't tell your mom I gave you this. Like he's fun dad. And then there's some dads that are less fun. And you can clearly succeed both ways because Bill Belichick's not exactly the most fun of all the dads out there in the NFL. But he, he still manages to build a strong, functional yeah, family. Yeah, he shows he loves. He cho- he's a, I mean, he's right. a lot like Parcells in it's that. It's tough love, right. It's that, it's that, it's right. It's that Parcells family I mean, tree. He'll, he'll yell and scream at you and everything else like that. But then he might, but he will at some point come up to you on you know, private and, you know, give you a little encouragement, you know, a little Little thing, like, hey, you know, good good job there, you know. <laughs> 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 and, and the crazy thing is, that's the thing that you will treasure to the day you die. Is the one time he said, well, that was pretty good, you know. <laughs> that one time, that exactly. time during I film mean, study on Monday. <laughs> I mean, that's like Landry, man. Landry was the same way. He would rip, he would rip somebody to shreds. And then at the end, give you some praise, and then you you took that with you to, to your grave, basically. <laughs> that's, that's praise you got, you know. Yeah, one of my favorite stories is Cliff Harris, um, who of course was naturally a safety, but at times was forced to play corner. And you're too young to remember Cliff Harris. He's a guy that some people think should be in the Hall of Fame, and he's a borderline Hall of Fame guy in my mind. I mean, I, there's guys I'd put in ahead of him, even at his position. But there was a time when something had happened. He was forced to play corner, and he was forced to take on one of the league's best receivers. In fact, he was forced during Super Bowl 10. Oh, it's coming back to me. At one point, he was forced to cover Lynn Swan in Super Bowl 10, and Lynn Swan proceeded to have one of the great Super Bowl performances in history. Three catches, two touchdowns, you know, just, and each one of the catches was some spectacular, you know, amazing thing. And, of course, Cliff Harris is there 
being posterized, in essence, by basically the game that put Liz Fudd in the Hall of Fame. And uh, before that, all through practice and all through various times of the year when, when he'd been forced to play corner, he's really a safety. And, you know, Landry would writing him about, oh, you know, how could you do this? You can't do that. And you know, we're depending on you, blah, blah, blah. And after the game, he pulled him aside. It wasn't fair to you. You know, I should have never put you in that position. You know, I, 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 and he also made it clear to me there's times when I was going after you to reach other people. Like, I can't yell this way at, at Hollywood Henderson because he would, like, tear off his uniform and quit the team. So when I go at you, sometimes it's to reach other people. And you have to have those guys, those guys you know can take it. Uh, because not everybody can. It's 53 very different human beings, uh, and they're more different now than they ever were before. Uh, that's the other thing is that the, the players are different. Um, people said that Parcells may not be able to coach now. Not Once again, I look at the success of Bill Belichick and I say, eh, you know, I'm not so sure that, that Parcells couldn't coach now. They were kind of the same guy. But um, but he would probably have to soften it a little bit. And I think he had towards the end of his career anyway. I mean, he couldn't be the guy he was with the Giants by the time he got to the Cowboys at the end. Because, yeah, Des Bryant couldn't have dealt with old school Bill Parcells. The Bill Parcells of 1984? No. Yeah, that wouldn't have been. Yeah, that wouldn't have. Yeah. Oh. But he got traded. Oh, no, that would have been. Oh, there's no. Oh, I mean, I can. Everything I think of that would have happened would be bad. There's nothing good that could have happened if those two had been put in close proximity to each other on a regular basis under high-stress situations. No, 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 no. And so, yes, there is a difference now in the way that coaches coach. You can't be aloof the same way. Players don't want you to be that far removed from them where you're up here and they're down here, which is how it was with Landry. Landry made it very, very clear that I'm up here. You're down here. And so players would want to talk salary or whatever, he would make it clear that that's not something we do here. He, he forbade his players to discuss salary. And if he found out you were – that's what eventually happened with Dwayne Thomas, the Sphinx, as they called him. But Dwayne Thomas went on a um, silent strike or whatever where he wouldn't speak to anybody, hence the nickname the Sphinx because he was mad about his contract. He couldn't get anyone to talk to him about it, so he said, well, if you're not going to talk, I'm not going to talk. He stopped talking. And went on a, you know, what is that, silent strike. And eventually, you know, ran himself out of or got run out of Dallas and blackballed, quite frankly. Um, he was a very talented running back. and He was done in three years, four years, something like that. He had a 1,000-yard season, was a big peacock in that team, but there was no way, no matter how talented you are, that Tom Landry was going to let you violate his rules of how the game, how the team is run and challenge him. No. I don't hear our talent. You could be the best player in the league. I'll get rid of you. And I'll let everyone know why I got rid of you. Yeah, because you can always get another run back. <laughs> That's right. That, this is the early 70s. The mindset wasn't quite I that know. Big. I know the mindset <laughs> a little bit back then, but I, I'm just – I just mean it in terms of, you know, he was black, blackballed, so, like, he, it doesn't matter if he gets cut because he's not going to play anywhere else anyway. Basically, know? I mean, he, he, he got a – I think he had one more year in the league after – and not and part of it was he uh, he hadn't kept himself in shape. Once again, players didn't 
keep in shape the same way in those days as he did now. Where he, I mean, if you remember, for most of these guys, it was literally a very fairly well-paying part-time job. But for a lot of guys, because they had big families or they weren't stars, if you weren't Joe Namath or Staubach or you know name one of the top quarterbacks in the league in the early seventies, if you weren't one of those guys, you had a job in the off-season doing something else. Doing something. Um, teaching Jim or working for Anheuser Busch or you know, uh, a lot of guys would be involved in restaurants or whatever it is, but they'd be doing something else because right. you couldn't you couldn't survive if you weren't even if you were a starter on the average starter at most positions linebacker, guard, tight end. Unless you were a superstar at that position, and like I said, you know. A handful of guys you could name without thinking too hard. All the guys that didn't need to work in the off season, Buckus didn't need to work in the off season. Uh, like I said, Namath, Dabak, uh, it's a pretty short list actually. Um, handful of other guys didn't. Lynn Dawson, though Lynn Dawson was doing television even towards the end of his active playing career, uh, so he already was lining up his next thing. Um, but I mean, literally, you know, a handful of guys didn't need. Off-season job. Most, I would say, probably ninety percent, ninety plus percent, probably of the guys had. To, so you wouldn't show up to training camp in great shape. In fact, you trust training camp sometimes in terrible shape in some cases. And training camp was longer because they needed to be longer. You're getting in shape there, you know, on 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 their dime because you couldn't stay in shape on your own dime because you were busy you know, running your limousine business or whatever what you did in the off-season. So Dwayne. Thomas shows up with this bad reputation, you know, that everybody's put out on him, not in great shape. And then they're like, oh, look, he's out of shape, and he's got this bad reputation. So the well was poisoned when he got, I can't remember what his second team was, but when he gets to the second team, the well's already poisoned. So as soon as he didn't have a get off to a great start in the season, they took away carries from him. He ends the year, not a terrible year, but not a great year. And they think they cut him after that. So I think two years with the Cowboys, one year with whatever the other team was. I think he's done it for either three or four years. That doesn't happen nowadays that way. Um, even guys with terrible reputations, if they're good, talented players, hang around for a while. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I always talk about the Jeff – I talked to a, an agent about Jeff George, and someone said that there was a – even said the name of the GM. But there's a GM who had his name, like, on his speed dial uh, until Jeff George was, like, 42. You know, because there was, there's always, if you're super talented, if you're a quarterback, there's always that sense that, well, maybe I can make this guy work. But still, that wasn't the mindset in the 60s and 70s. If you weren't, if you weren't going to fit into the cog, if you weren't going to do this thing the way I said do it, yeah, I can replace you. And, of course, there are fewer teams, right? <laughs> so that's the other thing. Many fewer teams, smaller roster, yeah, there's guys, you know, who will run through a brick wall to do this. And I'll pay them two thousand less, and they'll thank me for it. You know, no collect. I mean, they had collective bargaining, but no free agency. You know, so um, yeah, it was a very different world, right? That's what we're saying. So now we live in this world where the combine is televised, right? Not all of it, but the the fun stuff is televised. We get to watch uh, Tom Coughlin find his his Tom Coughlin feet, right? You know, oh, look, there's kind of on the 20-yard line. I mean, like there's all these things that we all, oh, Rich Eisen's running at 40. Like it's a, it's a this thing that it, it's just amazing, you know, that what it is now from what it what it was, which was really just a 
attempt to save money on medicals. But you now have this, you know, thing that outdraws. I mean, somebody somebody said they put a list of events that the the com a list of events that the combine out out not outdraws, but out out ratings or whatever. It gets better, you know. There's a it was a surprising list of the things that the combine gets better 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 uh, ratings on television. There, you would be. A, I mean, it's amazing that this is something that, like I said, even serious fans 40 years ago would have wondered why someone would put on television. Like, why would you televise that? You know? And now it's, you know, it outdraws it's more people watching than watch the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Well, right? the Pro Bowl is not really that exciting, but, you know. But it used to be. That's what I'm saying. It, that, this is one of the things that's changed. The Pro Bowl used to be a real football game, believe it or not. I believe it probably was, but now it's just sort of a vacation game. Yes. The vacation part's always been there. And I think back, once again, the economics were different. Guys couldn't just pick up and go to Hawaii. Most guys couldn't. So even the guys that were Pro Bowlers, a trip to Hawaii was a big deal 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah, trust me. I tried to Hawaii for those guys. Was like, if you're making 18 grand a year, and there were guys starting in the league 42 years ago who were making 18 grand, and you've got four kids, right? And they're all paid, right? The trip is paid for. You don't have to worry about a hotel. You don't have to worry about the flights. That's a big deal in 1972, Jim. Just so you know. And the winning team gets. Oh, it probably was back then, but nowadays. It was no, no, it's not probably. It was. I'm telling you. I'm pretty sure it was. If you're if you're a guy who bags groceries during the off season and gets your paycheck during the football season, then you probably would relish for a a trip to Hawaii and be happy and and give 100 percent and everything else like that. But um, but nowadays it's no kind of like it's very different. You know, oh, we're going to Hawaii? Oh, okay. Yeah. And you have to remember that shortly after the merger, because it used to be, you know, NFL, I think it was East versus East versus West, whatever. But then when the AF, you have to remember that right after the merger, when it's AF, AFC versus NFC, it's almost like replaying the Super Bowl. So in the early 70s, yeah, the Pro Bowl was serious, dude, because – there hadn't been that much roster mixing yet. So most of the AFC teams were old AFL teams, and most of the NFC teams were the old NFL teams. So whoever won the, the Super Bowl kind of swaggered around, usually the, you know, early on it was the NFC, obviously, swaggered around, you know, and so the, the AFL slash AFC teams were trying to sort of win back, you know, some respect in the, in the Pro Bowl. So I think that dynamic is completely gone off nowadays. But, if, I mean, the first Pro Bowl I saw was 1972. And, yes, it was pretty charged with that overhang of we'll show you and all that good stuff still. And by that time, you know, the, the AF, uh, they'd won a couple. The AFL had won a couple of Super Bowls uh, with the, both the Chiefs and, and Jets having won. But there was still a lot of interleague rivalry between the AFC, AFC and the NFC, which is pretty much gone now. 
well, completely gone. They don't even use that as their demarcation nowadays. Now it's fantasy draft or whatever the heck it is now with the team captains. So, yeah, I mean, I know what they're trying to do, but what they need is to have a, you know, another merger with another league or something so they can bring back. Because now there's no, you know, there's no heat, really. You know, there's no – and now you have literally teammates playing against each other, you know. So you could be, you know, this guy that you were just celebrating, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, winning a game with, and now you're lining up across from each other. So, I mean, there's a – I guess they're – I know it's a trying for I wasn't going to continue to get too far down this road. But the point I was making is that the things that have changed, and once again, the NFLPA is to be congratulated for changing some of these things. It is, you know, they are no longer these completely replaceable pieces, which is what players were 50 and 40 years ago. Even the best players, you were a really good piece, you know, but you're definitely replaceable. And not that players are irreplaceable now. I mean, every single guy who's in the league now is going to be gone and he'll be replaced by somebody. But but there's more of a sense of this person. I mean, think about this. There's things that could have never happened in when I first started watching the game. Tony Romo, you know, ends up doing non-football things with the owner on a fairly regular basis. Robert Griffin III has spent, like, personal time away from football with the owner of the team. These are not things that happened in the 50s and 60s and 70s. It probably like, shouldn't a, happen, but, you know. <laughs> it probably shouldn't happen, right. <laughs> Good point, Ted. But they happen now. <laughs> there are these close personal relations. Robert Kraft has a close personal relationship with Tom Brady, right? Really? He, yeah. I mean, I mean, they probably have, like, dinners to get. I, I, I kind of get it, I guess, but it's like visiting. Yeah, they have dinner. They, they've gone places together. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've done things together. They've gone places together. I'm not saying they're inappropriately close, like sometimes Tony Romo and, you know, whatever. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> there's a – you know what I mean? Like, like – it's inconceivable that he would get rid of Tony Romo. When people talk about, like, people try to say that, well, if this doesn't, no, it's not going to happen. I mean, if as long as Tony Romo can play football, Love Jerry Jones much. is going to. You know, when, when Jerry Jones was in his office with Johnny Manziel at the ready, you know, <laughs> Johnny Manziel was like, draft me, draft me. Tony Romo was flashing before his eyes in the room. He's just like, can't do it. Draft Zach Mark. <laughs> yeah. So there's a yeah, the I mean the old social structure has broken down to some extent where now part of it was that owners, you know, didn't have time to pal around with players. These guys had other businesses they had to run. The NFL by itself fifty years ago it was making money, but it was making you so You're making money, but you had to do everything yourself. I mean, you had to actually, you know, do stuff. You know, yeah. to get money. Nowadays, <laughs> you don't really have to do. I mean, you still do stuff, but like you're making money hand over fist, man. You know, money yeah, just comes right. out of you know every raining money. <laughs> Basically, yes. You know, it's, like, it is it impossible. Is. It is now literally impossible to lose money if you own an NFL franchise. Like this, you can do everything wrong, and your team will make money. Exactly. And, so, and we've seen that. 
team, you would probably have to, do, you know, you'd have to do that at some point if you got to that point. Well, if you were, if you were George Hallis, yeah, you did, in fact. Um, right. You had a few of those, those guys still around, and those were – his business was football. He wasn't a guy that had to worry about his car dealership or whatever. But for most of the guys, they did have to worry about their pizza restaurant or whatever it is, right? You know, Spanos or those other guys in the 60s. Uh, Sonny Werblin was an agent, you know, Hollywood super agent. He couldn't be palling around with, with, with Joe Davis. He had to make sure he had his agency clicking along, you know. That was his primary source of income, and then, you know, when the AFL and NFL merged, he started making a little bit of money, and then after a while, you know, he's making good money, and then he eventually sold it to Leon Hess for a fabulous profit over what he paid, you know. But still, in those days, that was where the money came in. The money came when he sold, you know, he really made back stuff. You didn't make huge money in the 50s and 60s from owning your team. You made some fun money, you know, from owning your team, and then most of your money came from whatever your real business was, unless you were like a guy like Hallis, where that was your real business. But most guys, you know, their real business was the, the thing that, where they made the money that they used to buy the team. And so now we come to this brave new world, right? Brave new world where uh, some of the owners are so rich and so, you know, uninterested in whatever it was that they made all that money doing <laughs> originally, that they seem to have nothing but time to mess around with... Yeah, you know, to, 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 yeah to mess around, right. basically. Right, uh, yes, exactly, to mess around. For whatever reason, is, um, you know? Yes, for whatever reason, which would have been unthinkable. To do it. Right, which would have been unthinkable just, like I said, four decades, three decades. I mean, it wasn't, you don't have to go that far back. It would have been unthinkable to just sort of, you know, I'm just going to spend all day talking football and hanging around my quarterback and, you know, uh, talking to his mom when she comes to visit the team and stuff like that. I mean, owners didn't do that stuff in the old days. I would have a difficult time imagining, you know, the the owners in the in the in the in the fifties and sixties, you know, George George Preston Marshall spending time just hanging around the team. Like that just didn't happen. It just didn't. They got they they came down to see the team during spring training and talked to the coach. Hey, I'll be looking this year, coach. And then they would uh They'd be there for the first game of the year, you know. They would do that, and probably some of the other games too. You know, they would, and then they would stop showing up for a while. They had other things to take care of, and then if the team did well, they'd show up for the playoff games, obviously. I know, which I always find is odd because, I mean, no offense. I mean, I know you own the team and everything, but you know, you basically didn't do anything, you know, (laughs) and then you show up at the end, and then you're giving a trophy, like, this is yep. for the fans, <laughs> you know, like, Yay! it's just very, like, I'm not, I get it, you know, definitely, but I just always, you know, it's like, yeah, I earned this, everybody, and yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know, it's just, it's just one of the, I don't know, I just feel kind of weird whenever I see that, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, but I mean that's that's why they understand that that's why these super rich individuals take 
some of their super riches and do this because they wouldn't get to be in an NFL locker room under any other circumstance. They wouldn't no, be getting sprayed with champagne. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I, there's that's a little enough bit of... Brady's hair yeah. under any other circumstances. Yeah. That's why they do it. They're patrons, you know. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Yes. They're right. not, um, you know, they're not Picasso, you know. They're not uh, Leonardo da Vinci, but they paid the money to have the, you know, have the art done. So, but uh, still, we don't really ever remember the patrons, but, you know, we'll see. There's <laughs> a few that get discussed, you know. We were, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I've taken a couple art history classes, so yeah. I mean, you, you know, I, I can't remember any right now. I definitely remember for the test I had to take, but I'm just saying that, you know, you don't usually remember, you know, as much as the people who right, the Medici, you know, but yeah, it's a short list, right? A few of the popes, <laughs> Jerry Jones, Dal Davis, and you know, um, right. <laughs> I think because Jerry Jones will probably remember because he's like everywhere, you know. Like he's unstoppable. Isn't, he is everywhere. the most. He is one of the most. I mean, you want to get beyond someone like Jack Lalanne, but for a man his age, his energy. Whew, man, is that guy? Whew, you know, I mean, he he's out there doing it and partying and all this stuff, and you know, showing people around the stadium and. Promoting, you know, the team, and I gotta give him credit. For a man of his age and his fabulous wealth, it's amazing, you know, how much time and energy he does find to devote to being a booster and all the stuff he does. Yeah. Be careful though. You never, you never know about these old people, man. They might, you know, these rich, wealthy guys. You know, they might have you know, like. Some weird medical stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. Imagine just, you know, I mean, you know, but yeah, obviously, high energy guy, owner type guy. Kraft gets mentioned, I guess, because he gets, you know, it's the past. So, you know, he gets, I don't know. I'm just thinking about owners, you know, in the back of my mind. I only know the Jacksonville owner because he has the mustache, right? If he didn't have that mustache, I would not remember him. Do you know Shadcom because of his mustache? Yeah. <laughs> his mustache, yeah. Pretty much. If he didn't have that mustache, I probably would not have remembered him, you know? Well, he then he better not ever shave that thing. Uh, <laughs> so, the, um, the scouting... Combine is almost upon us a game. And there's some interesting names, obviously, as there always are. And there's some interesting players. And there's some people who won't be there, so we might want to see them. The defensive tackle class, to me, is fascinating. Um, Obviously, it's not quite with the running backs, not quite with the wide receivers of last year, but it's I think this might be one of the better defensive tackle classes I have seen almost 10 years, maybe. Um, certainly a few years. I mean, oh, uh, what makes you think that? Bill? 
Are you there, Bill? Bill. Uh, hello, Bill. Are you there? Hello? Hmm. I think we lost Bill. Uh, are you there, Bill? Hello, Bill, are you there? Hello? Um, can you, hello, can you hear me? Is something wrong with your mic or whatever? Hello? Okay, Jim. Jim, can you hear me? James. James. Jim. Oh. There we go. Jim, can you hear me? Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, we can both hear each other. Okay. <laughs> all right. I was just. All right. I was like, okay. What was happening? Why not in the state somewhere? Okay. Okay, um, what we're about? Oh, I was saying that I think the depth and variety of talent in the defensive tackle class is really, well, really good, first of all, <laughs> but also really interesting. There's a lot of different types of guys. And we talked about how rare it is to find the, the real defensive tackle, you know, real classic nose tackle type. But there's a good number of them in this particular draft class. Yeah. 
a decent number. His physical, I mean, uh, I'm getting headaches over this plot. Only the defense attack class. Only, only because there's definitely a lot of physical talent. Right. I'll say that much. Physically speaking, they fit the profile of nose tackles. They fit the profile of five tech. The guys who fit the profile of three tech. But on the stuff I do, they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do to say, hey, draft me, you know, hi, if that makes any sense. So um, that's my only thing about the Steven Stacks class. It's definitely a lot of physical talent, but they didn't do much on the field. Ah. Uh, you know? uh, except guys like Danny Shelton, obviously. But it's funny. Yeah, Danny Shelton, who. Everybody hates Danny Shelton. Yeah. You either love Danny Shelton or you hate Danny yeah. Shelton. Right. Well, I, I love Danny Shelton. A lot of people feel like his production is a sham. It's a mockery. It's a shamockery. They feel like he's. he's yeah. <laughs> it's like um. It, it's like uh, there was this one. It was it, um. Uh, what's his name? Cayenne um, or Cayenne Fahey, I think. Right, yes. 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 He did a little quarterback metric thing, which I thought yes. was interesting because he was, you know, talking about, oh, well, Derek Hart, you know, threw 36 interceptions. And I was like, wait a minute, 36 interceptions? He didn't throw 36 interceptions? He's like, oh, intercept the ball. Right, intercept the ball, right. And I, but then I, and he, you know, Tay Bridgewater, like, threw the least amount. But then I'm like, well, how can Derek Hart throw the most interceptable balls and yet end up with less interceptions than Teddy Bridgewater, who apparently threw one-third less interceptable balls. You know what I mean? Like, that's a good question to ask. Like, it is. It's a great question. Uh, like, how does that happen? So, not to, not to knock that or anything like that. I just right. think that when we get into Danny Shelton, lots of people I've heard talk about, oh, well, you know, Kika, he set up that play for him. Or, you know, or or this guy, you know, this guy, he set up this for him. And, Everything flowed inside because of this guy. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. You know, it's crazy. Bottom line, Danny Shelton had the highest, uh, you know, market share solo tackles uh, out of every defensive tackle in the strike right. class. That's, close. That's what he did. By, and, by he a lot of and he did it at 345 pounds. Yes. So what you got to say now? You can criticize a lot of stuff about him, but there comes a point where you're producing so much that it it can't just be a sham. There's got to be something to it. You know, uh, there's reasons for this. It isn't just because he just got lucky one year when he did some similar stuff last year, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. Like they keep just running into him is what sort of I guess the theory is. They just keep something. He's got a gravitational pull. Guys just get sucked into him. Right. Well, they talk about his work ethic, right? You know, like oh, well, he he's you know taking plays off or this or that, you know, or he gets too tired. Like he well, plays well, wait, 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 wait. Which, which is it? Which is it? Is it is it that he's got this sham production where people keep running into him, or is he a guy? I mean. Or he's a guy that wears down. Like you can't wear down if you're not doing something. Like something, something is causing you to wear it out. That's yeah. why he's wearing down. Double team, double yeah. team that's wearing him down. Right. He's in the game. He gets tired, goes off like every nose tackle usually. 
<laughs> like you come to the point where you have to, you know, sure, I mean, sure, you're going to be a two-down, three-down, you know, nose tackle type. But, you know, I I mean, Eddie Goldman wears down more than Danny Shelton, but nobody yes. talks about Thanks. Eddie Goldman the ultimate, like, three, four, three, four plays maybe, and then it's just the effort's just not there anymore. It's right. It's kind of like almost sometimes where I see him, like, just putting his chest up to another, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, just putting his chest up to another guy just to rest, you know? It's, like, really bad. It's, like, really bad. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I – the only difference is, you know, Danny Shelton and, you know, Jordan Phillips are – and I don't get the Jordan Phillips love, man. I'm sorry. I, I don't. It's, you know, it's, you, you, of course you get it. Isn't it because he's young? I'm assuming that's why. He's not that young, though, man. He's, like – 20, I mean, he's not, everybody said he's like 20 or whatever, but he was a recruit in 2011. So how can he be 20 years old? Like, did he get recruited when he was 16 and he came in? And I, 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 I don't know the actual factuals on his birthday, just so you know. Nobody wow. knows his birthday. It's like, oh. it's like Max Vales. Everybody said he's like 20 or 19 or whatever. Come find out he's actually 21. 21. Yeah, so, no, that I did know, yeah. <laughs> But even with age, again, because age is a very minor, even with that toe bill, he only played 30% of the snaps. Uh, you know, when you watch the tape, he was more of a rotational, you know, backup, no tackle, as he was in college. Um, so you're going to put him over Danny Shelton because, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know where you're getting that from. People who do that, to me at least, I don't understand. Yeah, one guy that's proven that he can be like if like if he had a choice between two guys, right? Like like this is the choice, Bill. <laughs> he got one guy who can play sixty five percent of the snaps at a high level, and he got another guy that can play half those amount of snaps at. I mean, I didn't see him do. He who doesn't play with the same technique, he doesn't play with the same. You know, drive the whole time, so. I, I don't know. I don't get it. That's all I'm going to say. I don't understand the Jordan Phillips in the first round or anything like that. Apparently, he did a backflip. I haven't seen no video evidence of said backflip, so I'm just going to assume that. But if that, you did see evidence of the backflip, would that completely change your assessment of him? No, it wouldn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think he could do that. I've seen him on tape. He does not look like someone who can do a backflip. I've never seen – like, it's just one of those things, too, Bill, where – I like if you watch J- Jason Pierre-Paul, I could see him doing a backflip on tape because he's yes. a very pretty agile guy, pretty limber yeah. guy. Yeah. Jordan Phillips is a big fat nose tackle guy, you know. Like <laughs> that guy's gonna do a backflip, really? A-, a standing backflip? No, no, that ain't happening. Sorry, <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say. So <laughs> regardless of backflip, it's not happening. Terry Williams, the other nose tackle, you know, he's another guy who did who will test really well physically in terms of power and everything else like that, but didn't produce a lot at Eastern Carolina. Um, and then you end with Eddie, you know, uh, uh, McCarthy, who is definitely very physically talented player, but from everything I've heard, like I talked to Donovan, he talked to a couple people and everything else, he's another guy that's his work ethic and his 
stuff is not the best, you know. So, and he's young, very young guy, but I don't expect greatness from him because he hasn't taken that step yet. He might do it in the NFL, but I don't bank on stuff like that, you know. So, it's, oh, I see it differently. I see, like, I see Danny Shelton as, as a starting nose tackle. Uh, I, I see the other guys as, as guys who will probably disappoint, most likely. They might not, but most likely they might disappoint. Yeah, and that's the thing that worries me as well about the guys we're talking about. You know, that it's easy to project, and that's the thing. We're talking about guys pre- being projected based on their – you know, quote unquote upside, and that's the whole. Especially with you mentioned Phillips, that's the whole deal with him is that, you know, that's the thing that's going to allow him to be great is he's got all this upside. Yeah, but does he really have upside? <laughs> like, um, like, I, like the better way to put it is, all right, because I used to be this guy, which is true. I used to be the upside guy. I used to be the guy that looked at players and looked at their physical stuff and was like, yeah, you know, this guy has all this physical talent. He's going to put it together at the next level, and he's going to be this great player. He's going to be better than he was in college, right? That's what everybody says, right? Yeah. He's better than he was in college. Um, After doing all the magical work, that's not the case. That's not what happens. Uh, Guys that are really good in college end up being really good in the NFL. And there's only a few guys who end up being eh in college and going to the NFL and being great, but even those guys, they, they don't become – the good majority of them were just, again, starting caliber guys. They didn't become, you know, special players. So, like, if that be, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like those guys, I mean, definitely they became starters and everything else like that, but they didn't become guys who changed the game. You know, they didn't become guys who uh, just changed uh, – it became – as valuable as everybody thought they were going to be, you know. So that's my only issue with this uh, draft class. Is, uh, there's definitely a lot of physical talent, but uh, I think at the defensive tackle position in particular, I think there's probably about five guys or six that are really, you know, good, you know, level guys. And then after that, you're taking a lot of guys that uh, you're taking a lot of risks, you know. Taking a lot of I think, disappointment, but a lot of guys most likely will, you know, dis- disappoint. Right. But that's just how I view the class. I'm just going to throw a few more guys at you. Um, some people are super excited about the chances for Eric Armstead to end up being a five technique. He's big. <laughs> you know, he does have that. Um what are some of the things that you see, and do, what do you think are his actual chances to be something more than just a rotational guy? What do you think Eric Armstead might end up being when it's all said and done? Well, he definitely has the physical – well, not really, but I don't think he's going to test as well as everybody thinks he's going to. I don't think he's going to – I think his size is definitely great. But uh, I got guys like Matt Conrath. Fred Wakefield, Brent Urban, and Daniel McCullers, uh, a Jihad War even, uh, who produced more than Eric Armstead. 
Jihad War. Bill. Um, <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> like, I'm serious, man. That's how much more those guys produce than him. So while it is true that he has the physical ability to do these things, I just don't – the production side of things is not It's not good. Um, he's not – like, it's, it's – it's, again, when you have a – do you remember Daniel McCullers? Do you remember him? He, you know, yeah. giant. Uh, people got furniture. super excited about him. Yes. Giant furniture, uh, orange furniture. He produced more than, than Eric Armstead. So, uh, just from a percentage standpoint, in terms of you know market, you know solo tackles, total tackles, even to, even total tackles, Bill. Uh, sacks. He's not a big, you know, Eric Armstead is not the best sack guy either, and he's not really the best tackle ta- 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 for loss guy. So. I think there's definitely the physical tools there, but as I've said before, and I'll say it again, the person he tested with uh, was, as we all know, uh, Tyson Jackson. So, um, and Tyson Jackson, in fact, I think they'll test very similar, to be honest with you, other than, you know, Armstead being taller. Um, I think they'll have the same 40. I think they'll put up the same... Vertical numbers, I think they probably have the same bench press. Uh, they might have the same everything. And even Tyson Jackson is a guy who showed flashes, right? I mean, I saw the LSU tape. He shot little flashes of like, ooh, just get a little, get a little swim moves there. Ooh, check out that athleticism there. Check it out. Ooh, ooh, look at him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look at what he could become, right? Yes, that's what people say. I think when you're looking at a guy like Eric Armstead, you're looking at a guy that most likely is could become a starter out of the fact that he was a top ten pick, and uh, like Tyson Jackson, well, Tyson Jackson top five pick actually, but uh, God Raiders don't draft the list. Um, but uh, but I, I just that's that's my only worry tape wise again, and this is just based on tape. I didn't like his play on on the field. He did not play with really good leverage. Uh, he did not bend well, as as Pete likes to say. Um, he uh, a lot of times he even had kind of effort issues as well from watching his just you know just his ability to play 100 uh, percent throughout the game and um, on top of that I like to force Buckner better I wanted Buckner to declare um, and you know right. that didn't happen so now I'm kind of stuck with Armstead and honestly Armstead's a guy that I, I just would not touch till I don't want to say day three because in this draft class, well, you know what I mean? Like, in this draft class, it, it might not happen, but in a better draft class, I would view him as a day three prospect. Because all, you, all you're really banking on is physical talent, and uh, I'd rather pay that bill in, in the fourth round or the fifth round versus the first round or the second or the third. So... Moving on, because there's some more good number of DTs. Uh, somebody's going to take. Uh, sticking with Clemson for a moment, Tavares Barnes, the no, – sorry, he's a DN. Um, sticking with upside guys, Michael Bennett, or some people that throw about the term upside, Michael Bennett from Ohio State. What do you think he is, and where do you see him in your computation? Uh, man, um, 
Michael Bennett's another guy. Now, I will say this, though. Michael Bennett was – he was odd at Ohio State. He was a guy who was under – he was an undersized D-tackle that was trying to take on double teams usually um, and occasionally was used as a pass rusher. Um, there are some people that view him as, you know, a three-tech, which is really what his physical measurables um, say is three-tech. In fact, his closest athleticism comps are like Kerry Hyder Jr. You know, you remember him. Uh, uh, last I was a big fan from Texas. Yeah, I'm a big fan too. I don't know why the NFL didn't like him. But, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, he was, you know, he was, he measured out everything, but, you know, physical, everything, but, you know, whatever. Um, we'll see. He's, he's on the jet, so maybe he'll get a chance, you know, well, maybe not because of all that talent, but. On their D line, but um, you know, we'll just have to see. I mean, it's a lot of talent, man. I mean, he, he, what is he going to beat out? You know, Sheldon Richardson? No, I don't think so. Is he going to beat out? Um, you know, those, I don't know, really. But uh, with Michael Bennett, uh, same thing. Didn't produce. Didn't produce that well. Um, you could make the argument again. You could also make the argument that he played on a very talented defensive line. So maybe. It was just a It was just a. He was, you know, it was fighting for food, basically. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like fighting for production, right? There's so many good guys yeah, around him that he has to fight for stuff, you know? Because uh, he, he, the defensive line was so good, he didn't have to. Uh, he didn't get as many opportunities to do stuff because everybody else was making plays. That, that could be another explanation. Um, or he just isn't as good as everybody thinks he is, and he played on a really good defensive line that. Helped him to get certain matchups so he could take advantage of those. Um, I don't know. He's he's a guy I've watched one more tape on. I I'm okay with him in day two because I think that he's a three tech that was used improperly, and maybe you get some of that in the NFL. But I could just as easily see him becoming not not becoming the player that everybody hypes him up to be because this is a guy who everybody would say is first round pick and all this other kind of stuff based on his measurables you know how tall he is and you know undersized these tackle stuff like that he might fall in the fourth round even honestly to be honest with you just by the way wow. the NFL does their stuff well I mean by the way the NFL does their stuff it could happen because he's not um, you know he doesn't have length as they say <laughs> he's not a very tall individual um, he didn't produce like Will Sutton. Um, he didn't produce like Geno Atkins. Uh, he didn't produce like any of these other sort of undersized kind of, you know, guys. So um, as much as people want to compare him to those guys, he didn't do any of that stuff on the field like those guys did. So I think the best case for Michael Bennett is, I don't know. I, I don't know what the best case is. I think that there's definitely a chance that he becomes a starting three-tech possibly, but I don't see a tremendously special player. But, you know, could he be a starter? Yeah, definitely, I think. Like, that's the best case scenario. But there's a, but there's a sea of yellow and red around him. So um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see if he does it. But I think he could because it's such a special circumstance. You know what I mean? Like, it's not his fault he played at Ohio State around 
you know, Joey Bosa, you know, <laughs> and, and Dolphus Washington. And, you know, it's not his fault he played around all those guys. So um, maybe it was that, but it could just – or having to be a double team, you know, guy when he's really not that type of guy. Right. <laughs> like, right. He doesn't have that – he doesn't have a big, powerful frame exactly. Right. And he did the best he could, but I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why he was used that way. So it's, you know, you know what I mean? Like, that's all I can really say. So I think there's definitely a lot of intriguing things about him. I just wouldn't touch him until day two and probably not until the third round. But also, like I said, I would not be surprised to see him fall to the fourth round just because physical measurements and stuff like that. If teams really do care about that stuff, he'll he'll end up probably going there, possibly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible. In fact, it's quite the opposite of impossible. It's quite possible that that could happen. And once again, we said that there'll be some guys that we're talking about who people will say, wow, I can't believe he fell to whenever it was. Yeah, it's like Gary yeah, Nutter Jr. I was pretty sure he was going to be a day three pick. It happened, you know. Um, you know, well, I mean, I think he got drafted late, but, you know, right. Yeah, I think he, was he a, did. But... We'll see. We'll see. But that's my point. Is you know, people. I think he's got a lot of hype, which makes me question it. Of course, I know people think I'm crazy, but um, I just tape wise, I just again, like I said before, I probably say it too much, but I just didn't get it. I didn't get Michael Bennett, you know, on tape. Right. Um, I, I I think he he definitely is a player. Uh, who can do some things for you and has a couple moves. And he definitely has a really good um, swim move. But at the same time, his best move is a swim move. And he's a six foot three, two hundred eighty eight pound defensive tackle. You know, um, as Rex Ryan would say, if, you know, shorter de- defensive tackles need to have, you know, things other than the swim move because you're going to go up against guys that are six foot six. And that swim move is not going to be as effective against those guys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll – you know, it just depends on the circumstances. But, you know, and, and I, don't know. I don't know. I'm just conflicted about him, is all I'm saying. Because I know a lot of people love him. He has shown flashes of stuff. But I just don't get why people ignore the, you know, well, maybe they just don't know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know the glaring, you know, red flag, which is, uh, you know, bad, basically. You know? Anthony Johnson's another guy that re- reminds me of Michael Bennett kind of a little bit. You know, um, you know from last year for LSU, but yeah, I don't know. we'll see. We'll see if he tests like that or not. Probably tests a little bit better, but you never know. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, and that's that's certainly worth. That's one of the things that's worth investigating whenever you're talking about a guy like that, because there's there are reasons to be a little bit worried. Um, sticking with the defensive tackle class and moving through the Participants, someone I think you'll be a little more excited about. Well, I won't let you get him next. I'll I'll, I'll make you wait. Angelo Blackson from Auburn, another one of the Auburn D tackles. Um, the oh. other guy, so to speak. What do you think of him? Uh, why, why did he Why did he get invited? Um, now that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, I invited Gabe Bright. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and he's right. since 
even though Gabe Wright tested with Michael Bennett, <laughs> you know, but, um, uh, man, uh, I don't know what to say um, <laughs> about him, honestly. Uh, he's, the thing about Auburn is, you know, they rotated their defensive alignment, uh, which is something I, I know a lot, what they do. Um, which means, you know, there's less opportunities for production, there's less opportunities for that. Um, but I just don't know if that's a, an excuse, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's there's there's too much of a, like, you know, correlation, whatever you want to call it, you know, with, with the stuff to really say that that's, that's a legit excuse. Because, honestly, Gabe Wright and Angelo, you know, Blackson, um, they tested – I mean, honestly, they're right next to each other, man. The same level of production, same level of everything, just kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, type guys. Um, right. I'll show you how is that? How is he there but Travis Rossetti isn't is what I keep asking myself. Oh, well, because Travis Rossetti didn't play at Auburn. He played at uh, – <laughs> there. there you have it. What was and I Travis Rossetti also – you know, there was another five tech kind of guy came out of San Jose State a couple of years ago, who didn't, who wasn't really doing much. So NFL teams probably are like, well, you know, San Jose State doesn't produce five techs. So, yeah, too bad for, too bad for him. But so, but with him, yeah, but with him uh, again, you know, Angelo Blackson. I don't know. Again, like I said, I don't know what to say. Best case scenario, he's a backup, which is what he was at Auburn, a backup rotational defensive tackle. Um, And that's what he was on tape. He'll flash you some stuff. He'll show you some speed. He'll do a little swim move. It's always the swim moves, man. Anytime a defensive tackle can do a halfway decent swim move, people lose their mind. Um, But with him, uh, same difference. Same, you know, like, you know, try hard guy, tough guy. Gets opportunity, makes a play, but for the most part was just kind of a backup rotation of that. Same thing as Gabe Wright. I just know that Gabe Wright has the whole high school recruiting type background or whatever, you know. So um, at least he was like a top, you know, D tackle. I wish uh, I wish Donovan was on the show. I know. Where the heck is Donovan? Hey, I'm I'm here. I'm here. Oh, there he is. It's well, now, cold. Now, it's very cold in Washington D.C. right now. I just want to let you guys you know. know I, so I, I, I don't. I don't want to burst. I don't want to burst your bubble, Donovan. But I'm in Chicago, so yeah, you I know, probably should complain to someone else. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But we remember, I'm from San Diego, so that's not used to it. Yeah, it's 75 degrees there right now. Not really 75 degrees here, so it's kind of cold. <laughs> All right, well, we were just talking about Gabe Wright uh, being a high school recruit, so I was wondering what he was like coming out of high school. Oh, Gabe Wright, yeah. Gabe Wright was uh, really, really good coming out of high school. He was a, a four-star coming out. Um, he was looked at as a guy that could definitely be, all you know, an all-American type of guy. But the way – I think I heard you on the tail end say something about how Ellis Johnson uh, rotates a lot, um, especially with a defensive lineman. 
Um, and like I mentioned before, I mean, just teams on average are like 70 plays or something like that, uh, power five school. So it's just you have to rotate these blocks. Those guys are too big to last those many plays. Um, that's just how it is. But, yeah, Gabe Wright's solid. He's okay. I mean, um, he's okay. He's just he, – he hasn't – one of those guys that hasn't gotten that much better since high school. I mean, he was like a freak in high school. He was really good. Right, right, right. All world. All right, well, what do you, what do you think about – D'Angelo Blackson, though, from Auburn. Um, what do I think about him? <laughs> you got invited to the combine, so you might need to know his name. <laughs> we don't know why. Wait, no, no, I know. Yeah, no, I know who he is, but he's the taller of the defensive tackles because they he have was, uh, right. He's six three and three quarters or yeah, something like that. Yeah, they have Jeff, Jeffrey, yeah, they have Jeffrey Whitaker too. Um, yeah. there. Um, well, I think I don't really like either of them. Gabe Wright's the best one to me out of all of them. Um, I guess if you're going pure upside, then uh, Angela Blackson has really high upside. Um, but it's really it's really not even that high to be honest. He's not on my upside team at all. Um, we're just saying a lot. But uh, yeah, he's those guys are undrafted free agents for me. Both of yeah. them. Gabe Wright, Gabe, Gabe Wright, I would pick. Um, up in the third day, uh, maybe the sixth or seventh round. But uh, other than that, not too special. Not happy about them. I did some tackle. <laughs> yeah, see, this is what bothers me. In a world where Travis Rossetti is sitting at home getting mad as heck and lifting lots of weights, so maybe it'll help him in the long run, but, you know, he's not there. These dudes, who one of whom at least, you know, was supposed to be really, really good, so he wasn't anything special in college. And one guy who is slightly less special even, and what people like is that he's tall? Really? That's it? That's the that's, that's it? Tall he plays Auburn. He's tall because of Auburn. Auburn's defense was atrocious this year. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, the strong point of their team was their defense line. They they did okay, but they're back to it got worse yeah. as you went back, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, oh, man, they were mad. Actually, the best defensive tackle on the team is Montrevious Adams. He's only a thought. Yes, player. yes, he um, is. That's that the guy I like. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's really good. But, uh, you know, obviously, he's too young to come out. But he was by far the better, uh, more talented. Actually, better technique, surprisingly, even though he's only a 20-year-old kid than the, uh, the fifth-year senior guy. Which is kind of disappointing. So I think Gabe Wright's a fourth year, four year team. Uh, the other two guys are about fifth year. But um, with Angelo, I don't, uh, some somebody has personally tried to sell me on him, kind of as a guy that can move up and maybe into the fifth or sixth round, or fifth round, fourth round uh, range. I just don't see it. Um, I, I mean, Jim talked about the arm length thing, so that's kind of debunked because that was his thing going in. Is he has really long arms and he's tall. Um, and he carries his weight. His frame is, is good. He looks like a monster, but he plays like a little junior in high school. You know, so <laughs> it's disappointing. But, yeah, Rashidi should definitely be there, um, even though I'm not really impressed that much with the defense tackle position anyway. Um, it's very top-heavy. Like right. Five. We were talking about the – yeah, we were – I don't know. Um it was it was just because it was hyped up to be I, I don't know 
It's it's good. It, it, it honestly like when you, if I think if you look back on the draft in six or seven years, they might have three All Pro potential like Hall of Famers from the same position. So I'm not not Hall of Fame, but that's probably a stretch. But no. I think we got one. I think yeah. I, I mean, think there's one, maybe two. You know, but I yeah. but I don't think Malcolm Brown's gonna be a Hall of Famer, but. You know, who knows? Yeah. You know. I, I was gonna say. I mean, from what, from what I've watched, Leonard Williams, uh, Danny Shelton, Malcolm Brown, or uh, excuse me, Christian Covington, is a guy I like a lot, but I think he's gonna be a, a good starter. I don't think he's gonna be too super special. Um, same with Carl Davis, um, and and uh, Ellis McCarthy at nose tackle. Um, just most he's a nose tackle. It's probably gonna get in the Hall of Fame, but <laughs> I mean, it's really tough. But I think it'll be really, really good. Jordan Phillips is Mr. Upside at the position, of course. He could be the best um, in five years, but or he could be out of the league. It's a really big risk to take Jordan Phillips, but um, I do like Jordan Phillips. I would rather have Ellis McCarthy. So. so this is, as you said, sort of an interesting group when we look at the um, – the defensive tackle class, and I think when you you sort of dig through them, yeah, there's the sort of super exciting, flashy, sexy upside guys, and then there's a lot of you know pluggers, right? I mean, some of the guys who eating potatoes, you know, right? Exactly, gum it up, get in the way. Make life hard for guards, and occasionally even you know flop into a tackle for loss or a sack, you know land on somebody that kind of good stuff. And then you've got, let's just go through them, right? We've got we've got we've got all to look through. We got the time, you know. We do. So let's look at your boy, your boy Jim, Mr. Malcolm Brown. Uh, First of all, what is it that makes him special, or potentially special? And then what is it you where do you think his his value will be when this all shakes out in the draft? Well, he had the same things that Kerry Hatter Jr. had, which made me love Kerry Hatter Jr., um, but with more physical ability, athleticism. Um, he is extremely high motor. And when I mean high motor, I mean, he's not the type of guy that, you know, almost like I, I was like I was watching Zach Kerr, you know, tape, because Zach Kerr is a guy that was running all over the field. Yeah. He's, chasing, <laughs> he's chasing down guys 15 yards back, you know, down the field. Uh, didn't matter. He was always going after the football, always going after the football, always going yep. after the football. That's what Malcolm Brown does on tape. Chases down everybody. Chases down Brett Hundley down the field like a linebacker. Man. <laughs> yep. That's how he's doing it. Um, in fact, that was the game I saw was the UCLA game, uh, where I first was like, oh, oh look at this kid. Oh, wow, Malcolm Brown, you because last year, Malcolm Brown flashes here and there, you know, like, you know, he, he's playing a little bit, great. This year, shows that effort. Every single snap, he's going after the ball, you know, going after the ball, going after the ball, never stopping. Um, the whole game, I mean, it's crazy how much effort he puts into every single snap. And uh, on top of that, really good perceptual intelligence in the sense that, when he sees a play, he sees it. 
he anticipates where that play is going to go right then and there. Like, it's as, as good as a linebacker. Like, a seasoned pro linebacker, he's able to see the field exceptionally well uh, and just his ability to perceive, you know, believe what he's seeing on the field and react to it all at the same time uh, is probably the best in this draft class at all the defense stats. Um, now, Leonard Williams, I love Leonard Williams. He definitely is the more – he's faster, first of all. He's more – you can do more things with him because um, he is a little, you know, he's a little taller and stuff like that. But if you're talking about just a guy able to read and react on the fly with, as quickly as possible and diagnose plays fast, that, that's Malcolm Brown. <laughs> like, it's, it's uncanny his ability to read, the, read plays on the field and react immediately. And on top of that, just a powerful player, stacks and sheds with ease. And uh, on top of all that, if he does the things he's going to do at the combine, which I think he might be able to do those certain things, uh, he's going to test like a very powerful, a very fast-for-his-size player who I think has the potential to, you know, be, you know, who knows? I don't even know what his potential is. Uh, it's really hard to tell. He, you know, he's he's almost like a Lamar Houston, but is not undersized in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. Not to say that Lamar Houston's undersized. He's definitely a big boy. But I just, I just mean in terms of just having more pounds on him, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I like Lamar Houston. So, um, uh, with Brown, I just see those same stuff. So, it's the effort, it's the intelligence, and it's the physical ability. I know a lot of people say, oh, he looks slow or he looks this, he looks that. Like, he's moving really well for a guy his size. I don't give a crap. People, like, put too much into pure raw speed at the defensive tackle position. You have to realize how big these guys are. He's right. a big guy that moves extremely well for his size. Very agile, very quick, very Zach Kerr-ish, you know. Kind of keeper, but I just got to – but uh, just that that's thats just what I love about him, man. And that's why he's my favorite defense tackle in his class, honestly. I mean, I love Leonard Williams, uh, but if I was the head of a team, if I was a GM or something, I would have a hard time taking Leonard Williams over Michael Brown just because the tape was just so much better with Malcolm Brown than it was with Leonard Williams, just right. on everything that I like, you know, which is, you know, football intelligence and effort and, you know, all that other kind of stuff that nobody else cares about. But, you know, I don't know. Or some, people, some people don't care about, yeah. So where do you think he goes in terms of, of – when he I think he goes first round. I, he'll probably go late first because, you know, upside or whatever. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, because he's you know he's six foot three, three. He's probably going to be about six foot three, three fifteen. So teams are going to be like, okay, yeah, you're not a you know you, you're not well, you know they're going to label him as whatever. So he's probably going to end up going late first. But I think whatever team gets him. If you're the Seattle Seahawks, oh. like if they literally let Malcolm Brown fall to the oh. Seattle Seahawks, it's over, man. If Malcolm Brown ends up on the Patriots, like if you are this team that's a playoff team that has had issues, you know, getting a really good, you know, five tech in a four three, 
or just a general, just a guy who could, he could, I mean, he's played the Joker position as well. So just a guy you could put anywhere and just create havoc. Um, that's your guy, you know, like that's your guy to get pound for pound, man. Um, because he, he could, he just plays, man, you know, like he's just that type of guy. And he's a high, again, high energy guy, all go type guy. So I think that might rub off on people as well, you know, just how much effort he puts into everything. Even from practices, man, you know, because, you know, when we had Alex uh, Dunlap on the show, he was talking about, oh, even in practice, he's, he's going full go. So um, it's, he's just that type of guy, man, you know, just in terms of effort, in terms of his physical ability. He has everything that he would want in a guy where he may not become like a Hall of Famer, like I said, but he's definitely going to be a really great player. Yeah, that's a lot to like. And I love, you know, bringing up Lamar Houston. Um, I mean, he's a guy that has some, even though he's a, a bigger, stronger guy than Fairley, he has a, there's some things that he does that sort of remind me of that, that kid coming out. I mean, he's, he's good. <laughs> he's really good. <laughs> and I guess the only question is, do you think he's a three technique? Do you think he's a zero? What do you think he is? In terms play of how- anything. He can play anything. I've seen him play everything. It's like with Leonard Williams. There's all these people going, oh, Larry Williams is not that. Like, I was getting in a debate with some guy about Randy Gregory and Leonard Williams on the edge. And I told the guy flat out, I can give you tape of Leonard Williams rushing from the edge better than Randy Gregory ever did. Because right. it exists. It's out there. I'll give you the gifts. You know what I mean? Like, I've seen him do it. Um, that's what I mean by a joker guy. He can line him up anywhere and do that. Malcolm Brown, he's rushed the edge. Not as well as Leonard Williams, though. He doesn't have the same, you know, again, he doesn't have the same game as Leonard Williams. But, you know, he's the type of guy you can play him at three tech, you can play him at five tech. If he tests physically the way everything early on him is, he can play anywhere. He can play three tech, he can play five tech, he can play zero tech, he can play one tech, whatever you want. Now, of course, you might go, oh, that's too much versatility, but who cares? (laughs) Like, he's just the guy you stick somewhere and have him go get it, man, you know, because – I, I view him like three tech would be great. You know, it, it would be fun to see him in a defense where you just put him there and you ask him to go get it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to go get it, man. He diagnoses the play, go get it. You know, so I, I he probably wouldn't fit in a team that just wants to like hold the point as well. But I think three tech would probably be, yeah. I mean, that'll probably utilize him the most, other than just like a you know, absorb in two blockers, even though he can do that as well. So it's, it's you know, again, I, I would say use him as like a joker. I'm serious. <laughs> like, I understand that there's people who are like, eh, but really, I mean, he can, because of his ability to, to read and react as quickly as he does, I think just having him as a joker is very much a possibility for a team out there that needs a guy like that, you know, on a bad team. Definitely, you know. Okay. Um so he's what your number two D tackle? I mean, it sounds like you on tape yeah. like it better than you. <laughs> it's it's tough, man. Uh, I mean, for me, it's funny because it's exactly like Mac Mayer kind of. <laughs> but, uh, and I I question you know anytime your rankings are so similar, might you know Mike Mayer, you have to double check what you do. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, Leonard Williams is definitely my top D tackle. Malcolm Brown second, followed by Danny Shelton. Um, but they're all different. As we've talked about before in the show before, they fit different needs in a way. 
So it depends on what your team needs. So I would, I, the way I rank D tackles, I rank them by the position I think they're going to play. I put Malcolm Brown at, as like a four-three-five tech, and Leonard Williams is like a, you know, a, a three-tech or a five-tech, you know. But I mean, I te- I technically put Leonard Williams over Malcolm Brown, but you know, like all I own saying this, if I was really going with my heart mm-hmm. rather than my brain, I'd probably go with Malcolm Brown. So that's the, that's the only way I can really explain that. What say you, Donovan? In terms of your D tackle, the top guys, um, Leonard Williams, he was my number one overall player last year. He had it came out, so I mean, obviously he's number one still. Um, <laughs> hasn't changed. Um, well, he's not my number one overall player anymore. There he is, but he's still the number one defensive tackle. He's second overall for me on my big board. Um, like I said, I thought he was the best um, player in the country last year, um, and I've seen the guy in practice. I mean, he and Malcolm are really similar when it comes to just Hearing stuff in practice, um, the guys know I was out there in L.A. Um, for, for the spring practice. Leader, man. Legit superstar leader, you know. He's got the superstar to him. He's flashy, but he's a legit leader. Um, he's great. Um, he worked out with William McGinnis. You don't really hear about linemen working out and stuff, but he worked out with him. Not not really a lot of technique stuff, just literally just talking about the game and working out, and I think that helped help him with uh, being really close with Willie. Of course, um, all-time great for Patriots. But, uh, yeah, Little Williams is my one. Um, and it's not like a five-star type of thing. Um, I do think he is a can't-miss guy. Um, but I do like Danny Shelton a lot. I, I think it's a, a pretty sizable gap, not a huge one. But uh, Danny Shelton, too. And uh, I would say Malcolm Brown would be third. And then I would put uh, – I'm not going to add Ellis McCarthy because he's a nose tackle. But um, – so I don't know if that counts, but I like, uh, I would say I like Carl Bennett, or excuse me, Carl Davis and uh, Michael Bennett, um, fifth. But like I said, it's a big gap between the top uh, three, even Brown, Shelton, and Williams, and there's a drop-off. And, and like I said, Jordan Phillips is Mr. Upside. Um, <laughs> when it's all said and done, he could be two. I don't. I still never would say he's better than one. So I think he's a two. But um, he could be, like I said, gone. So I'm gonna do yours too, but it's a risk. Sometimes teams have to take. Um, not in the first round though. I want to take Jordan in the first round, maybe the second. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's, like I said, very good top heavy on um, defensive tackle prospect. Um, Jake Brindle, from UCLA the center, has pretty much defended all these guys. Um, he went against David Cooper, Leonard Williams, Danny Shelton, Malcolm Brown. Uh, everybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? Marcus Hardson, you know, Ellis McCarthy, all these guys. And he said, yeah, all in the same year. And he's my number one center for next year. But I remember him saying um, that Malcolm Brown and Leonard Williams are by far the hardest guys to go up against. Um, and he's probably right. He said Danny Shelton was obviously the biggest, <laughs> you know, so that was tough because Jay Brennan was kind of lighter guy. So that was a difficult situation. But as far as just relentless, Relentlessness, excuse me, relentlessness technique and just getting after every single play. It was definitely Leonard and Danny Shelton. Uh, or, excuse me, and, uh, Malcolm Brown. Um, Leonard had some. Sorry about that. Still no. the airport guy. But, no, it's no. okay. I know yeah, you're yeah, the airport. That's fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Leonard had some injuries, uh, which uh, he's a tough cookie, man. Now, some of them kind of bother me that he had so many injuries. 
But um, gosh, and the guy was rarely 100 percent all all three years at SC. And like I said, he just got better every single year. Coming out of Florida when he came out to LA, um, kind of homesick at first, but got over it. Um, kind of struggled the first couple games, and then he just was great. I mean, he was dominant, and he was uh really helped be uh anchor for that uh, USC defense that struggled at times, to be honest, the past three years. And a lot of the injuries that were there when he had Lane Kiffin as coach, um. Lane hit some injuries, man, to be honest. So, um, I mean, he might have been injured. He, he put himself on an injury chart, but gosh, I'm sorry about the lady in the background. <laughs> so, so. No, but, but yeah, he, he has some injuries that. I don't, I don't want you to, to blow past that. That's, is that. Is that maybe because of like an NFL thing, the NFL mindset that, that Kippen had maybe? I, yeah, I think so. Because him and Stars are totally. Everyone compares them, but it's kind of. Borderline dumb comparing them. Besides, they work together at SC and they are good offensive coordinators. Other than that, they don't have much to like. Um, little things. I mean, as far as just being a, a player's coach, no one really fought for Lane, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they fight for Starks already, stuff he's went through in the first year. But, yeah, even stuff with the injuries. Lane was – there were some injuries that, uh, that uh, Leonard had that were worse than what they were. He had the injury, but it was like maybe he would say it's a sprain and it was actually a tear. Oh. Stuff like that. Easily, easily. I mean, you can ask uh, any guys around uh, campus. It's, it's, a, it's not a hidden thing that Lane Kiffin did that. With certain oh. players, um, the big-time guys, um, Barkley, I mean, you know, uh, he played through some stuff that never got reported. Uh, Leonard, of course, battled through some shoulders. Stuff and you know, all kinds of guys, but uh, we, we had what was the guy we were talking about last year, Bill uh, Lyman. I can't think of his name. Um, uh, uh, Andre Walker, maybe I think. Yeah, but coming out this year, yeah. yeah, Andre Walker had tons of injuries. Now, his you know, were different. He had the torn ACL. I mean, it's torn ACL, you can't really get around that, but it's hard to I mean, hide a torn ACL, yeah. But you no, know, you know, and Kevin was trying to save his job, trying to win games. I understand that, but he was really tough with guys, man. They, some of them just played through it. Leonard played through every injury. He still, he was still at practices, man, with those injuries. Um, still there, so he's tough. He's tough. And so is Malcolm, though. Him and Malcolm are just great. Yeah, no, I, I, that doesn't shock me to hear that. You know, there was footsie, funny business, whatever regarding injuries. Like I said, it goes on all the time. The NFL, you don't see it yeah. quite as often, or you aren't supposed to see it quite as often with college players. But I'm not yeah. shocked to hear it. Yeah. You actually don't, man. You really don't. And like a lot of these guys are NFL background. Lane, I feel like Lane's more of an NFL guy in the way he structures his practices and his off, you know, his interviews and stuff like that. Um, now I know he's a college guy. He's been in college for, but. Like I said, being around that program when Lane was taking over, it just felt like a really strict NFL team. That's why we love college football because it's kind of loosey goosey. You get to hear the coaches going rants and stuff all the time, and players saying crazy stuff. It's like we're having, you know, with Lane there. It didn't really happen too much. Uh, so, and obviously, you saw with Starks, uh, a couple things happened early on, but they love Starks though. They, they fight for him more. I'm telling you. Um, but sure. regardless, get to the point. I mean, yeah, Leonard. And, and Malcolm Brown are just guys that I cannot see not having good NFL careers. Even if they're not as good as I think they'll be, uh, I still think they'll have a good career. And I, I, I do think that with Danny Schultz. Um If he can keep his weight at the right spot, 
Um, I don't mind him being 240, or 340, excuse me, but um, I wouldn't mind him being 240, but I don't mind him being 340 at all. Um, he moves well for for a really, really, really large man. Um, and, and the truth's still out on Eddie Goldman, um, who walks a lot of tape left, and Grady Jarrett. Um, those are kind of the guys in the middle for me. Like I said, I like Christian Covington. Um, Xavier Williams is really solid in Iowa. Yeah, and, before you, wait, wait, back it up. Before you blow through that too quickly, what do you like about – we mentioned Jarrett, and I, I like him because he's, you know, he's productive and he's quick and he's strong. Um, and Goldman, I keep watching him thinking I'll see what everyone else is seeing. I mean, he makes some plays. He's, he makes some splash plays. He does. He definitely does. And maybe it's the technique they use at Florida State. There's something about him that I can't quite warm up to, so we'll talk about him a little bit more. But um, Xavier Williams I also like. But go through those guys and tell me what it is you like about them. Um, I guess you want to start off with, you said, uh, Goldman? Sure. Now, that's your five-star recruit, man. He's from where I'm from right now, D.C. Um, <laughs> Eddie Goldman is uh, just, like you said, splash, man. I mean, sometimes that guy looks like a top-ten pick. Sometimes, sometimes. he looks like a fifth-round pick, you know? I mean, he never looks horrible to me, but sometimes he looks, bad, you know, he looks like he should be playing Northern Iowa, no disrespect to that good program, but um, looks like he should be switching with what they're getting on wins, but uh, yeah, man, and Goldman is just like, I don't understand for a state because, I mean, the, the talent on D-line was ridiculous, man, and Mario Edwards, yeah. they just didn't, I mean, the, nope. the pure, the, the talent when they came out and what they're supposed to be in college, you know, because you can't just skip high school and say, oh, he's going to get a pro, that's a lot of high school guys miss. On some guys, you know, you have to be like, okay, they're good in high school. Can we do that for first? Um, those guys were good college players, but they didn't live up to what yeah, they were supposed Ter- to be. Terrell Pryor's high school tape, it, you would, it looks like Cam Newton playing against high school kids. But where is he now? Exactly. There's plenty of guys. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's I, I like Goldman because of, some guys, it's not just, oh, laughable with upside. He really, he's a good player that has a lot of upside. So he's already pretty good enough to, to be a solid guy in rotation. So that's what I like about him. He's not just all upside like some of these guys. Um, and then Jarrett. Um, well, Jarrett is just, yeah, he's quick, he's fast, he's light on his feet. Um, I think he might get moved around a little bit too much to really love him. But um, he's solid. I've grown, I've learned to like him a little bit more. Um, and Xavier Williams to me is just Mr. Solid. You want to talk about Mr. Yep. Solid? I think he's just gonna have a good career. Yep. Not special, not all fame, but he's not gonna be a bust. You don't have to worry about. He's gonna come in day one, and he could probably start day one. Actually, if you look at some of these decent, like Jordan Phillips and Elk Carthy, I like them more, but I don't think they can start day one. You know, but this kid can start day one. I could see him starting on a few teams. If I was a yeah. GM and I was in the fourth <laughs> round, yeah, you know, fourth or fifth. Um, and I keep hearing about Rakeem Nuzes Roches. I, I can't. Is that how you pronounce his name? I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, we'll go. Yeah, through. he. Well, no, he's a, he's a guy I keep hearing on on my little circle draft draft Twitter about he's gonna be you know one of the best to come out, and I just don't see it. Maybe I haven't seen enough stuff in this tape, but um, I don't know if you guys like him. Joaquin Nuez uh, Roches, but he's what I keep hearing right now. He's a sexy uh, defensive tackle right now. 
you know, he's, he's an interesting prospect. He's a fifth rounder probably, and he might turn out to be something nice. But there's yeah. definitely some question marks there. There are some questions. He's fast. He might be the yeah. fastest. Even, but him and Leonard he might be the fastest. He's certainly yeah, more he's of a faster guy. Fast. Yeah, he's really. Yeah. I don't know about these report numbers. I don't know how fast he is, but they said he runs four eight. It's really good for a three hundred pound person. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if he runs that. He is at the combine. He got an invite, so um, we'll see. Those those are some solid players I didn't expect. But you know what, guys? I'm so sorry I have to cut it short. But you know, I know, I, I, I know you're I'm getting ready to get on a plane. I know you're yeah. getting on a plane. Before you oh, run, yeah, tell just, people, Donovan, tell people where they, they can find and follow your um, uh, what do you call it? Your uh, my work. Yeah. Thank you. That, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, RSC report. You can find my work there. Um. Just in a full draft now, we're focused on that. I'm um, done with high school recruiting for the most part. Um, still obviously working on that stuff. Still in 16 class, I never stopped working on that. But, um, yeah, we're, we're focused on sales 15 and whole draft over there. Um, me and Brian Louise got something cooked up we're going to be doing um, over there. So look out for that. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Don James Sports. Uh, I know Bill said not to complain about the cold in Chicago, which is a lot colder, but it's freezing. I'm literally outside right now. And, it's, oh, I, I you know, a little fun fact before I leave. I saw Drew Rosenhouse um, on my plane from Atlanta. He had just got back from Miami talking to Greg Hardy. He was literally on the phone with Greg Hardy in front of me. <laughs> so I saw Drew, Drew Rosenhouse. Um, and I just saw Kevin Hogan at the airport, like literally like 10 minutes ago. But he was with his family, so I didn't want to talk to him. But he's from this area, so I guess he's just flying in. He's from Northern <laughs> Virginia, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so I, I saw some. Uh, NFLs. Well, Kevin Hogan's not NFL yet, but <laughs> saw some football guys. So that was still cool. I, I didn't talk really to Drew Rosenhaus too much because he was on the phone the whole time, but <laughs> I did speak to him. So, <laughs> right. but yeah, um, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'll definitely be on tomorrow with the prospects you got on them and everything. So uh, okay. I appreciate you guys again. I'm sorry I had to cut it short and the oh, lady was talking yeah. in the background, but yeah. I just got to DC at the airport. So. <laughs> yes, it, and so yeah, definitely. You know, give, feel free to give me a call tomorrow, and once you get on the ground and all that good stuff. I will. Thank you, guys. Have a blessed night. Okay, talk to you soon, Donovan. Bye. That was our. Oh, and Donovan, we'll talk more recruiting stuff tomorrow as well. But that was yeah, our yeah. Uh, recruiting insider, Donovan, who is rubbing shoulders with Kevin Hogan and Drew Rosenhaus. So, you know, follow him now before he gets too big to follow you back. It is uh, always a thrill, always a pleasure to have the one, the only Donovan James, who brings us a lot of great insight into the wild and the wacky world of uh, of recruiting, where anything can happen. Dreams are born and destroyed right before your very eyes. So this D-tackle class, and we're sort of cutting through them, I was going to ask you to talk about some of the guys that Donovan just discussed with us. So, Jim, uh, Goldman... Williams, Roches, uh, who else did he just throw out there? Um, I'm forgetting somebody that he just went through. We'll go through them. But where are you on those guys, on any Goldman and at all? Right. Uh, Goldman is a tough eval. Another guy <laughs> where uh, the the production-wise, Tyson Jackson again, um, like no joke. 
Like that's where his production was. He will test really well as an athlete, though. Uh, I think he'll put up a really good vertical and broad jump, and uh, he'll probably run, you know, five flat. Uh, he's definitely fast. He'll he'll flash. Um, you know, he'll he flashes stuff, man. That's what he is. He's a flashy player. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. You he know, flashes. He, yeah. he, he'll he'll do nothing, and then he'll like do a little swim move and get in the backfield and get a sack, or you know, or he'll. Uh, you know, but but it's always in the line of scrimmage. Anything outside the line of scrimmage, do not expect Eddie Goldman to go there because he does not. He's not that type of guy. Uh, he's not the type of receiver to tackle. Um, he hmm. will not. Uh, pursue. It's not to say he doesn't try, but he's the type of guy that will jog to where the ball is going uh, versus running. Um, you know, he, he tends to do everything at the line of scrimmage and doesn't do anything outside of that. And uh, I, the, the benefit for him, he's a young guy. He's, he's 21 years old um, when he when he enters, and there's a couple of players who didn't produce that much, who became uh, good players who entered at 21. But he's the lowest of the low of those guys, though. <laughs> so he's like he's not with Marcel Darius. He's not with Albert Hainsworth. He's, he has similar physical ability like those guys, but there's a big gap between production between those guys. Because you know, Albert Hainsworth and, uh, and Mark Darius didn't really have the best production in college, but they were young guys who were very athletic. Goldman's at the bottom of the pack terms of that stuff. So he's very similar to those guys. But, I mean, I went back and watched Marshall Darius tape. It was a lot better than Eddie Goldman, you know. And yep. I saw Albert Hansworth tape, and, you know, <laughs> it was better than Eddie Goldman. So yes. I think that with Goldman, he's a guy that testing-wise, he, you know what, he's, he's going to be a first-round pick, um, the way teams do what they do. Yep. Uh, because it's just what happens. You play at Florida State, you put up really good power numbers, you put up really good speed numbers. They look at the age, they look at the athleticism, they go, I can coach them up. But mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. me, um, based on what I do, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't feel very good about him, um, at least future long-term projection wise. Uh, I don't feel very good about him. Um, the other guy, Rakeem, uh, uh, Nochez? Yeah. Close enough. Nunez, yeah. <laughs> Nunez Rochez. Yes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Southern Miss. He's not that bad, but he's <laughs> like the Michael Bennett of, you know, conference USA kind of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. not, not terrible. They're similar size. Uh, they are decent at flowing to the football, um, but at the same time, if they get squared up, they get knocked on their ass pretty easily. Um, the Alabama game is a good example of that with uh, Nunez Rochez. I don't know. How, I don't know if that's going to get better in the NFL. Um, you know, just because it, it's that it's that just that issue where if he gets lined up right, uh, he, he's going backwards. You know, knocked on his butt. So uh, I, I worry about just general power, leverage, and stuff like that when he gets lined up with guys. If he's attacking half a man, he does well. If he's not attacking half a man, he doesn't do well. So he's very much an a angle 
I'd say angle, but, you know, angle-driven like defensive linemen where he has to attack guys at an angle, otherwise it's not going to work out for him. So um, I think, you know, I think he's good, but, you know, I think Michael Bennett's good. The only difference he has with Michael Bennett is that he's he's actually tests pretty well in terms of uh, production, stuff like that. The only problem is the production is in Conference USA, which is the only – you know, the gravity of that production is different, but at the same time, it's not that he's terrible, you know, um, anything like that. Uh, it's just that the – the uh, I compare it to planets, right? So, okay. You know, SEC is like Jupiter, right? So if you produce a lot in SEC, you know, it, there's more gravity to that, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's more – the players that come out of that conference that produce at that level, like there's a certain threshold of players that end up being really good players that produce at a certain level. Uh, not to say that everybody comes out of Jupiter is really good, but it's just that there's a threshold. With with Minas Rushes, he didn't like um he wasn't unbelievably productive, but he definitely was productive enough to say, hey, you know, let's see what he does in the NFL. So, but yeah, definitely three tech uh, type and. Uh, Hey, if, if you miss out on Michael Bennett, hey, Raheem Nunez Rochez, yeah, go ahead, yeah, yeah, or you know Louis Trinka Passat, yeah, guy. with the Trinka Very similar. Passat, <laughs> Very similar guys, yeah. Well, you mentioned Trinka Passat. Let's do it. What? Tell me about him. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's okay. Uh, he's, I mean, three tech, definitely, but um, kind of a one hit wonder guy as well. Just kind of worries me a little bit. Um, he was a guy who took advantage a lot. Like, um, who was that defensive tackle that played for South Carolina last year? Um, oh. Uh, hold on. Um, wait a second. Um. Oh boy! Um, not Chaz Sutton, but the other guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, the third of the three defensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. And he got drafted late drafted, or later. Yeah, he got drafted pretty early. Uh, actually, well, well actually, early. yeah, right. I mean, earlier than I thought he would get drafted, but. Right. Everybody was mocking him in the second round, third round, right? Um. And then he was drafted by the Giants. And yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can see him in my mind. Uh, His name is... Hold on, hold on. Let me see. If I watch him long enough, maybe he'll turn to the <laughs> number of his name. Um, it was like... Oh, not Corey. Um, He's related to somebody in the NFL, though. Right. Not, not NFL, but like... But yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on. Let me think. Um, he's not one of the many gathers this is this time. Um, no, not this one. No, he's not. I know that. He's a because all of guys. Are, is it Gerald or no? No, Clay. Wait, it's close. It's uh, uh, uh I almost said not Grady, but it's something. Oh, hold on. Uh, Grady. <laughs> Gray. It's something like that, like uh, Garrett, Gray, uh, not Garrett. Uh, oh, we're all around it. We've been really close. Um. <laughs> yeah, it starts with a G. 
G. Yes. I, uh, I think. Too bad. Study these guys and we forget their names. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. Celtic Quarles. Thank you. Yeah. Quarles. Quarles. That's it. That's, that's it. That's it. Dunham Quarles. Yes, yes, yes. And he's related to Shelton Quarles, right? Right. Kelsey, yes. Kelsey Quarles. Quarles. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's related Same. to Shelton. He's related to Shelton Quarles. Yes. There it is. Exactly. Woo. Well done, Jim. Because uh, I was going to well, you know, I know, I know. aneurysm or something. <laughs> well, well, I didn't think twice. But I put <laughs> a lot of that in, in Louis' trick of Hassan. I hate to say the Danny Shelton, you know, argument, but it's just a lot of his a lot of his production was for you know stunts and and stuff like that. Not really actually, you know, up sure. front with a guy man on man. And, right, he's not, just, right. He's not just whipping some dude play after play and right, sort right, of right. dominating. A stunt here, a stunt there, you know, and got a gap and then did his thing. Um, he production wise tested well. Um, Age wise didn't test well. He's about twenty four years old. Um, <laughs> Which is, which again, I'm not trying to make too much of age, but it's just that typically guys that enter 21 to 22, 22 and a half, that's like a really good area. He's again, he's 24, so. So if I'm understanding correctly, if a guy is 20, 21, 22, not that it's all the same, but it's not a huge, but the 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 threshold we start to get concerned is around 23, is what it sounds like. Yeah, 23 and a half and up. Yeah, that's where you get concerned. 23 and a half. Okay, got it. Yeah. 23 and a half. 23, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I wouldn't get confused. But 23 and a half, 24, yeah. The numbers yeah. go against you once you get past 23 numbers and go half. against you. Yeah. Got it. But, okay. yeah, 23, kind of, uh, 21 to 22 is really what you want. That's the kind of age you want to get them because, sure. you know, there's more – Again, when you hit your peak, the way I kind of put it is, just, you know, when you enter the NFL, first of all, you have to adjust to the NFL like everybody does. You know, right. like everybody has to adjust to the NFL. Sure. The problem is that when the guy enters at a younger age and they adjust to the NFL quicker than you, when they hit their athletic peak, they should be better than you. At least that's the So, you know, and it kind of bears out to a certain extent. But the bottom line is, is I, not to say I wouldn't draft him, I definitely think he's. There's three tech possibilities of them. I just, for tape wise, it was a lot of stunts, it was a lot of stuff like that, and, and not a lot of impressive, you know, like just play on the field. Um, and not to bring Carl Davis into this, but I just think that Carl Davis kind of helped him out a little bit. Yeah. Right. And that was my next question was Carl Davis, since we're talking about Iowa guys. Uh, break break him down. What is it? What is it he's good at? What is he not good at? And and where does he fit in? Is he a five technique? Is he a what is he? What is he? He, he he's a he's a mystery to me. Um, he's another um man. I hate to keep saying this, man, but he's another one of those guys that production wise uh, was scary, man. Um. He's tall, you know. So you're talking about a guy who's about six foot five. So there's leverage. There's leverage up to him. Um, he's he flashes quickness. He flashes speed. Um, 
he does he does have a swim move. I hate to bring up swimmer, but you know he does have a, a decent little swim move. Uh, he was in that defense asked to do things that were counterproductive to being very impactful on the play. You know, in terms of you know eating up a double team and um, stuff like that, but. With with Davis, I just, I mean, my my big issue, you know, he was the guy that was supposed to have a big season this year. I don't know if you know this, Bill, but last year, coming into this year, Carl Davis was supposed to be the dude. He was supposed to have a big year. <laughs> he was supposed to show everybody. Right, Danny Shelton kind of year, yeah. Yeah, he was supposed to have the type of year where everybody, you know, goes, yeah, yeah, woo, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it, baby, woo, you know, that type of year. Um, and, and didn't have that type of year. Uh, just he has the physical tools. Clearly. He has the physical. Like, well, it's kind of a theme, I guess, you know, because, uh, you know, because he, he does. He has the physical stuff that you want at the position. But in terms of what he did on the football field from a production standpoint um, was not indicative of a special player and not even indicative of a starting caliber player. Wow. (laughs) Because he just was not that productive. So you're looking at a guy who either, again, we get into questions, see, was it, was it because of the scheme he was in that he didn't produce a lot or was there something else to the reason he didn't do it? And he's another guy that, you know, he's, he's a really late bloomer. Hey, just put it that way. Or he's just not what we think he is. He's just a bunch of, you know, physical stuff that we think is going to be great and then never becomes, you know, great. Based on his length and his speed and things like that, we're projecting right. on him ability that he may not possess, you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of guys, though. There's um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Alan Branch is one of those guys. Um, and then the other guy is Red Bryant. Those are the two starting caliber tackles that are in his range of production. And Red um, Bryant is the guy that I actually have compared him to. That's who he reminds me of is Red Bryant. Right. But how many all pro places has Red Bryant went to? Hmm. So not to say that he's bad. If he ends up being Red Bryant, that's good. That's a starting defense tackle. Yes. Yes. That's what you're hoping for, yeah. That's what you're hoping for. Um but the I mean geez. You know, like, like I hate to put it this way, but it's like, yeah, he could be Red Bryant, or he could be, uh, you, you know, like it's that sort of situation. It's it's where that's it. You're there's only one guy, so, and by where he gets drafted, will determine you know how long he stays in the league, and you know, and and of course you know, all that other kind of stuff. I hate to put it that way, but I just mean it in terms of a long-term guy, 
right is what I'm talking about. Because that's the thing about metric stuff that people don't really understand. When I'm looking at stuff like this, I'm looking at long-term projections. So a guy might have a good season here and there, but does that make him a player that's going to be long-term a really good special player? With a guy like Carl Davis, he's not that. Could he be a starter? Definitely. Could he be Red Bryant? Definitely. He could be Red Bryant. But wh- where do you want to pay for Red Bryant? You know, now, right? How much would you pay for Red Bryant now? I wouldn't get him. I probably wouldn't let him get past the middle of the third if I if I knew for a fact that he's going to be Red Bryant. Now, now if if you're saying there's a less than fifty percent chance he's Red Bryant, then I'll wait. <laughs> Maybe take. There's a good chance he should be. Well, that's the thing is, but then again, it comes back because a lot of the metrical stuff is also about going back and looking looking at the tape. So I would go back and look at Red Bryant at Texas A&M and look at him and look at all of his tape and then look at Carl Davis and see if there are any similarities, you know, between how Red Bryant played and how Carl Davis played. But I don't know. Again, Carl Davis is just a guy. The other thing, too, is, Bill, is Carl Davis is not going to go in the third round, just so you know. He's going to be a second-round, first-round guy, purely on how he tested. I think he's going to – I mean, based on what I think he's going to do, I think he's probably in the first 10 to 12 picks of the second round. And you're right, he could go in the first. Yeah, because he had a really good senior bowl. I mean, I heard I wasn't there. But he had a good senior bowl, and uh, he he did things in the senior bowl. He never did in Iowa, as some people say. So, um, it's I, like I said, I all, all I'm trying to say is is based on the metrical production wise of of him, um, I I would not I would not like you said third round, late third, okay, right? But if you're getting, if you're getting Red Bryant, but you better be sure you're getting Red Bryant. <laughs> So you need to go talk to Red Bryant, interview him, interview his parents, you know, and go talk to Carl Davis and all that stuff. Because I don't know if this is going to end well for anybody you take who who might end up overdrafting him, which I think is very possible. Now, do you think perhaps some of his lack of production is due to being moved around or scheme or things like that? Well, and that's a good question because. A lot of times, like this is still a question I'm trying to answer is the scheme affect things. I think that it does affect things. Scheme definitely does affect things with players. At the same time, is that an excuse? Mm-hmm. Because there's other guys who played in schemes who had disadvantages and still produced. That makes any sense. So, you know, like, there's definitely a case to be made that he wasn't in the best game. He wasn't used the right way, as everybody likes to say. But I would just say, do you want to find out in the NFL? Yeah. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> finding out in the NFL is it's tough. <laughs> it's tough, man. You don't want to find out in the NFL. Uh, that's why you lose. That's why jobs are lost, Bill, um, is because of, because of that, having to find out in the NFL whether a guy can play or not, at least at a high level. So um, that's my only issue with Carl Davis. And, I only, and, again, I only mention this because Carl Davis, he's another upside guy. He's a guy people look at, they see the length, they see the height, they see flashes of play, and they go, oh, this guy has so much upside. He's this, he's that. He's, just, he's in this terrible scheme. 
that just, you know, prevented him from being this monster player. And we're going to get him, and he's going to be a monster, I tell you. But that might not happen, you know, because you're overlooking the fact that what if it wasn't the scheme? I mean, we could – it's almost like, you know, a lot of – I know we do this a lot where we go, what if you put him – if you put him here, right, if you put Nelson Aguilar in Alabama, he would have a big season with, like, Amari Cooper, right? But the problem with that argument is, is we don't know that. We don't we know because right. Aguilar we never, never wins. Right. I mean, it's the, game, it's the game I play with, you know, obviously even going back to the debates I love to have with people about Archie Manning and, you know, going back to guys that, you know, other people maybe aren't, don't remember even, but – um, the uh, the fact is that uh, there's uh, all we know is what they did. That's all right. we know. Exactly. That's a good. Point. All we know. Is what they did. That's all we know. Amari Cooper had a really good season. He had a better season than Austin Aguilar, at least you know in terms of production and stuff like that. Does that mean that Amari Cooper is better than Austin Aguilar? Eh, you know, debatable, you know. I, I can understand Aguilar love, you know, over Cooper, but I'm just saying that if you're going to make the argument that if Aguilar was at Alabama, he would have been better. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know about his knees. I think Aguilar's knees might skip out under Saban's, you know, um, Saban's uh, death program, <laughs> you know. Yes, um, he do not survive. So that's what I mean. There's all these other things that go into that, but my my basic point is, is that, yes, there is a chance that Carl Davis was just not productive because of the scheme. But as I said again, as as somebody in a GM room right now, is that what you want to find out in the NFL? So that's is, that how how you, is that what you want? Is that how you want to try to figure this out? Yeah, right. <clears throat> it's a little scary. Um, and there's a, this, that's the other thing about this particular class of um, – of D tackles is there's a lot of right. guys who are either hyper productive and or um, guys that you just don't know quite what they are or last but not least guys who are super athletic or maybe not super but very athletic and have interesting measurables but they've never quite played really great football for any length of time. Right, the most athletic guys in this class, the majority of them. Uh, didn't do anything in college. Um, yeah, right. Frustrating. <laughs> Ellis McCarthy didn't do the things that he was supposed to do. Um, Jordan Phillips didn't do the things he was supposed to do. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the fact. Carl Davis didn't do the things he was supposed to do. Eddie Goldman didn't do the things he was supposed to do. Uh, the, uh, the entire Florida State off defensive line pretty right, much. Started, exactly. <laughs> None um, of them did. None of them did. And the, and the people who did do what they were supposed to do are the people that nobody liked, except for Leonard Wood. Um, or at least, you know, or at least didn't like until later. You know, halfway through the process, they're like, oh, Malcolm Brown. I didn't know about Malcolm Brown. So it's, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of late to the party, like November. Speaking, speaking of late to people, the party, I think we've been joined by defensive tackle expert Josh Zimmer. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I'm here. How are you? Oh, it is a rare privilege, but uh, one of my favorite defensive line analysts has hopped on with us. Um, Mr. Zimmer, always a pleasure. We're breaking down the defensive tackle class, uh, particularly looking at the guys who got invited to the combine, some of whom I think are sort of head scratchers. 
we we mentioned Blackson from Auburn, who, I mean, it was almost like the, you know, is it just was he like a two for one with Gabe Wright? I mean, Travis Rossetti and some other guys I could think of seem to be more deserving, for lack of way of putting. It. I mean, guys who've been more productive, more consistent, more more everything, more effort, more better tape. But whatever. Uh, I'm gonna try not to fixate on that too long. But this is an interesting defensive tackle class. They've got a, we were sort of mentioning that you've got essentially some tremendously productive guys and we've got these sort of semi freak athlete guys, but they aren't the same group of guys. Like if you either are choosing between production or quote unquote perceived upside. What, talk about your top D tackles in this class and why do you think the super freak, the longer, quicker, super whatever athlete guys aren't the productive guys amongst the D tackle class this year? Well, well for me, uh, I'm not I'm not a whole lot like everybody else. Uh, everybody's so sold on Leonard Williams. Uh, I'm not yet. Uh, I think he has great potential. Um, and in terms of where you want to use him, I mean, six five and roughly is going to play around uh, anywhere between two ninety five and three ten, depending on what team and what scheme they're going to play him in. Uh, whether it be a four three defensive end or a you know a three four uh, shade or anything like that. But the guy that I really love watching tape is Danny Shelton. Uh, he's the number one guy on my board right now. Uh, when I've watched him uh, throughout this season, I haven't had any problems uh, with his tape. And you got to understand, he's a 6'2", 340-pound man. And I can guarantee, because I know how the process works, he was probably playing around 360 during the season. And yet, yes. you didn't have a problem seeing him running down a guy 15, 20 yards downfield. Uh, he has a great motor. Uh, when I watch his tape, I know a lot of people kind of compare him to Haloti Nada. I, I always say Casey cool. Hampton. My guy's Casey Hampton. When I look at him, I see Casey Hampton. And I see a lot of Casey Hampton and a lot of Vince Wilfork, uh, a guy who's going to be able to eat the middle. Uh, you don't have to worry about him uh, in terms of pass rush. Uh, it's only a plus with him. Uh, it's basically uh, everything and then more with him. You're, you're not going to get a guy who's going to get blown off the ball and off the line of scrimmage, he's going to be able to anchor down and keep basically the, the rushing lanes and uh, all these alleys free for linebackers to either play over the top or cut backside. I mean, basically going to be a gap eater, but in terms of what kind of separates himself in terms of this tackle class, at least within the top five, is that you have seen his production uh, in terms of collapsing the pocket. I mean, now a lot of it has to probably go for the fact that, you know, he was uh, – Hello, Ikikaha was getting a double team, but that's because he had 19 and a half sacks this year and led the entire country. But that doesn't take away from Shelton's game that he's able to collapse the pocket. Uh, with Leonard Williams, you know, I have him close at number two. Uh, I both have him projected top ten. Uh, they're both top five potential guys. Um, they're one. It, it's kind of like a Mariota Winston th- uh, scenario for me. They're one sure. A, one B. Gotcha. Um, just to kind of be the scapegoat. But with Leonard Williams, uh, he flashes a ton. Uh, but for me, if you're going to be a top-five guy, um, you cannot just flash. You have to be consistent. And if you want to go on to a game where he was not consistent this year, just go ahead and throw on Boston College. Uh, easily one of the worst games he played, even though he was somewhat productive. Um, I felt like, at least over this year, his pass rush has kind of dropped. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot. Uh, his hands are kind of iffy every now and then. 
but the, he does have his games. Uh, where I like him the best is I personally like him as a 4-3 uh, three technique. Um, kind of like a Sharif Floyd, he's guys going to be able to move the pocket very easy for you. Uh, he's going to be way more than a double leader. He can actually beat double teams because of his length uh, yep. in his arms and also his length and his height. Uh, number three for me was kind of hard. I had Eddie Goldman. Uh, he's kind of a – Kind of when I threw on the table, looks a lot to me like uh, Timmy Jernigan from last year. Uh, they kind of have the same difficulties, the same advantages, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Number four is my surprise, and it was a guy that I heard you guys talking about earlier, and that's Carl Davis. Um, I wasn't supremely high on Davis. Uh, during the season, I felt like his production kind of dropped. A lot of that can be triggered to Louis Trinkapassat, who is their shade and even their three technique who played pretty well this year and even had a great senior bowl. Uh, and it also could go to their defensive end, Drew Ott, who played extremely well, who I'm also kind of surprised uh, got snubbed from a senior bowl. In yep. But Davis proved something to me at the senior bowl. I didn't get a chance to go down there and watch, but some of the uh, from the people that I've talked to who were down there and from watching the practices, he has proven that – Interior defensive linemen that come from Iowa can collapse the pocket. Uh, everybody knows that the, the defensive ends, you know, the Matt Ross and all these other great defensive ends, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Webema, who went to the Arizona Cardinals years back in the third round, they all knew that they could collapse the pocket and that their mid rushers were fine. Uh, the big question with Iowa D linemen were the interior and if it was more of a scheme thing. With Iowa, the, what I've started to learn, and even when I went back to watch Mick King and Matt Kroll tape, just to kind of compare, they don't really ask the interior defensive linemen to do a whole lot in terms of pass rushing. Uh, they do play some games, but it's basically just to kind of, you know, get the interior of that offensive line to kind of, you know, create a cluster uh, so that those defensive ends can kind of work around them and have two-way goals uh, either outside or in. But at the senior bowl, that's where he separated himself he showed that he can collapse the pocket, uh, be a, a decent pass rusher. In terms of his technique as a pass rusher, it's actually fairly good. He does get high at times, but, I mean, he's 6'5", 321 pounds. Uh, you're going to expect a guy to get high sometimes, but he wins. He has a great quick swim. Uh, he can even rip under it. Uh, he's a guy that, for me, if he tests well at the combine and even has good pro day, and even in, if he gets invited to individual workouts, he could be a guy that sneaks late into the first round. Um, I know a lot of these, you know, this draft is going to be loaded, at least in the first round, uh, or even the first 100 picks, is going to be loaded with defensive talent, particularly in the front seven with the edge rushers, the D-tackles, and even uh, I can guarantee that late in, the or late in the first round and even into the entire second round, there's going to be a run on some linebackers like an Eric Kendricks or a Denzel Perryman, uh, you might even see Bernard McKinney get off the board. I highly doubt it. A uh, guy that I really like who's coming on this year is A.J. Johnson from Clemson. But when I've gone back to watch some tape. And then the fifth guy is Malcolm Brown, and he's kind of a plug. Uh, again, it's 5A, 5B between him and Michael Bennett. Um, I haven't had a chance to ho watch a whole lot of Michael Bennett's tape compared to Malcolm Brown. I've seen Malcolm Brown play a couple times live this year. I've only got to see Malcolm Bennett or Michael Bennett play once this year live, the rest of it can all, you know, obviously just the normal broadcast view. But they both do good things. Michael Bennett was a guy who everybody thought was going to be next to Leonard Williams going into this class. And then, of course, Danny Shelton and Eddie Goldman had themselves fantastic years. 
Uh, but those are the five guys that I really like. I think that, you know, if either of them test well, uh, they're going to help themselves. I gave the majority, you know, the top three guys all have first-round grades in Goldman being a 15 to 32 type guy. But Carl Davis can't sneak in up late because, I mean, let's face it, a team like uh, New England Patriots or even a Green Bay Packers with the whole Detroit guy on situation and the fact that B.J. Rogers is a free agent and even the Seattle Seahawks, uh, the Seahawks love to add depth because they just draft for whatever. Uh, they don't necessarily draft mm. for need. They just take best player available. And at 32, if Carl Davis is the best player available and they're not having anybody uh, blowing up the war room telephones, uh, I could totally see them taking him because then that also allows them to move Michael Bennett and keep him on the edge uh, where he's best suited. But some of the other guys that I'm kind of surprised, you know, a lot of people are talking about this Jordan Phillips, uh, the redshirt sophomore from Oklahoma. I like him. He has a good frame. Uh, he's a guy who, to, for me, is a potential guy. I mean, 6'6", 334, but when you watch his tape, he still can tell that he's learning how to play football, uh, at least in the defensive line. Uh, he doesn't do a very good job of shedding blocks. Nope. Or even doesn't know what to do with his hands. Doesn't know what to do. Exactly. Gets, gets, people get underneath him all the time. He yeah he gets fooled by games up front yeah he's he's yeah he's he's a guy that uh, to me is kind of the enigma uh, of this defensive tackle class because uh, in terms of size I don't think you're going to find a defensive lineman uh, interiorly wise other than Leonard Williams and even Malcolm Brown who stands six four uh, who's been so highly regarded, and I just haven't seen it on his tape yet. Uh, like I said, no. he's flat, but he still has a ways to go. He's going to be a redshirt player. A guy that I really like who came on at the Senior Bowl, who when you actually go back and watch his tape, actually played pretty well this year, was Grady Jarrett from Clemson. Yes, thank you. Yes. Not the biggest guy. Uh, Aaron Donald type size, 6'1", 288, but he's explosive. Um, and that was the one thing that when I watched him in the pass rush drills at the Senior Bowl, and even went back to watch some of his tape uh, because I had a huge crush on Vic Beasley, so I'm trying to get him all hammered out. Uh, he flashes on tape, and you instantly see him. If it's not Beasley making a play, it's Grady Jarrett. Uh, I like his size, you know, 6'1", 288. That's not bad. Aaron Donald proved that you don't have to be a six foot two, six foot three, you know, defensive tackle. Uh, I like him kind of like a John Randall-ish type player. Uh, obviously, heavier. I mean, now uh, John Randall probably played around 235, 240, maybe two. Oh, no, Randall was bigger than that. He's 272 when he weighed in at his pro day, and he played, by the end of his career, he was about 291. But, but yeah, he was short, though. I mean, he was six, maybe six one. He was probably like six feet and seven eighths, but a shade under six one. But the thing about Randall, and you know this better than I do, I mean, has anyone ever been better in their hand with their hands than John Randall playing on the interior? I don't know. If so, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen a guy yet, and that's why I the only guy that since I've been watching uh, close over the last two and a half years since I really started jumping into this uh, when my playing career was starting to get over the only guy that I could compare hands to John Randall was Aaron Donald, and yeah. pretty clear to me. Yeah. Uh, in terms of production, doesn't have the Aaron Donald type stats and the you know glamour, but he's a player who can get it done. Uh, I really like him a lot. 
there's a couple interior defensive linemen that I really like that are, you know, some FCS guys. One of them being Xavier Williams. There we go. From Northern Iowa. Uh, I've had a chance to watch this guy play live multiple times just because they play in the same conference as North Dakota State. And Fargo is only a four-hour drive from me. Um, dude is awesome. Uh, I think next to him and Tonga uh, Takai out of the University of Montana, I think these are probably going to be the two best interior defensive linemen. I'm, a, I'm an average fan of Derek Locke. I'm still trying to figure out where he's going to potentially project. Um, they have him listed at 299. I'd like to think that he's maybe a little bit heavier than that. He is. He's heavier than that. He's, he's over 300 now. I don't know when the last time that... – is this from a program or is this from a like an All Star Game way in? You're going from? Uh, I'm going off of their uh, projected website uh, when I initially did the uh, when I initially did my prospect board. Uh, when he when the, he weighed in at the was it East West? I, I, I can't remember, but, but one of the bowl games he, he I think he was three twelve or three eleven or something like that at the bowl game. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, he, he has some weight, but you can even tell that uh, during tape. You know, the first game of the year, I had a chance to watch. He's way bigger than 299, but he's a guy that I like. I just don't, like I said, I just don't know where he's going to fit right now. Um, Deion Simon's another guy that you can keep an eye on. Uh, he's going to be anywhere between that sixth and seventh round priority free agent type guy out of Northwestern State. Um, he has the size. He's 6'3", 332. Um, when I've watched his tape, the little bit of tape that I have on him, he reminds me a lot of Brandon Williams from southeastern or southwestern Missouri uh, a couple of years ago and now playing for the Ravens. Uh, same Division II defensive lineman. Uh, but those are some of the guys that I've really kept an eye on throughout the process. Uh, Ellis McCarthy, uh, I'm, eh, I'm an okay fan of him. I felt like he would have best stayed if he was a senior um, had he you know, decided to come out in the 16 draft instead of 15. But Xavier Cooper, you know, any of those guys within the top six or seven, if they test well, they're going to be interchangeable. Um, And from rumors and reports that I've heard is that Leonard Williams isn't even looking at bench pressing at the combine. Uh, So people could be looking at that. Um, I don't know if it's for sure or not. I've just seen reports out there that, you know, he's he's basically played with a torn labrum or a torn labrum and a rotator cuff. That's true. He he was – He's played with, and it's funny you just missed Donovan, but um, he's played with several injuries that were downplayed um, throughout his collegiate career. And yes, he did have a torn labrum. Yep. So that could potentially hurt him, but in my opinion, I don't think he's going to. Uh, as long as he does the on-field drills and he doesn't look out of shape when he comes in, uh, I still think he's going to be a lock, even though. If I was a guy who was in the, you know, in the front office, I just wouldn't risk a top five pick on him. Number one, that's a lot of money. And number two, he's still a guy that I think takes maybe a year or two to, to develop and get used to the NFL game. Uh, I don't think this isn't a defensive tackle class like it was when uh, Indominus Sue and Gerald McCoy were coming out, where these guys are going to come in right away and just be stars uh, at the top. Um, I think Danny Shelton has that ability just because of where he's going to be asked to play. I mean, he's only going to be asked to play two positions. He's either going to be a straight-up nose or he's going to play a shade. I highly doubt you're going to see him in a three technique, although you can because he's athletic enough to do that. But with Leonard Williams, it's going to be uh, where are we going to project this kid? Are we going to be able to put him on the edge as a, you know, 
in a 4-3? Is he going to be a, you know, a 4-3 DN? Is he going to be a 3-4 DN? Is he going to be a 3 technique? Uh, what about his pass rush skills? Because like I said, his run, his run ability is great. Uh, in terms of stuff in the run, his technique is pretty flawless. At times he gets sloppy, but at the same time, when I've watched his tape, it, to me it almost looks like he gets bored. Um, <laughs> you can watch his no, I know what you mean. You watch his tape, and in the first series or first, uh, even the first quarter, uh, I went and watched the Nebraska game. He was dominant. I mean, flat out, they couldn't block him. Uh, they couldn't even cut him. And, hell, they even tried to chop him, and they couldn't do that. Uh, I mean, he was just getting great penetration and a great explosive step off the ball. But then you look into the second quarter, they're starting to get his hands on him, starting to move him a little bit, and then now they start implementing the read option into it, so then they started getting him on his toes and anticipating a little bit. But it almost seemed to me that he was just getting a little bored uh, because it's almost like if it's too easy for him. So I – it's going to be a huge challenge, um, but he, those are my two best guys. I don't think anybody else is even going to touch the top 15 unless a team gets greedy. I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, you know, I know me and you have talked about Tyson Alawalu a couple of years ago and how he got reached uh, all the way Oof. up to number 11, but <laughs> I don't think you're going to see it. Um, but it, yeah. this is the deepest class I've seen. In terms of in terms of edge rushers and, and defensive linemen alone, uh this is going to be an exciting class because um, I love a lot of the guys, uh, not just interiorly, but on that edge too. Uh, you know, Vic Beasley, Bauer, or, you know, or uh, Fowler. I'm not a big Shane Ray guy. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're together on that. I, yeah. I, I can understand what people are excited about, but I don't think he ever is more. He might even be reasonably productive, but I don't see him. He, I don't see him ever being more than a, a essentially a slightly taller version of a guy like Bruce Irvin. I mean, I think he's sort of a situational pass rusher who, in the right scheme, could play maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more than that. But, I mean, he's mm-hmm. not going to be – he's not Von Miller. You know, he's not that. He's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's not super mm-hmm. special at – he's never going to be great in coverage. He's a good athlete, but he's not a guy who's ever be great in coverage. Not because he, he's got a certain amount of tightness. Even though he's athletic, he's not mm-hmm. loose athletic. He's tight mm-hmm. athletic. Um, it's funny you say that, Bill, because I actually—it's funny you, you, that you compare him to uh, to uh, Irving, because I yes. actually was watching uh, Charles Davis explain his top ten, and he actually was talking about why he thinks Vic Beasley is more closer to a Bruce Irving because huh. hmm. of his size, but. I don't want to be on what we're talking to you. I'm not going to sway anybody's opinion, but I am going to tell them the only problem that I ever had with Vic Beasley is that I don't really know what his true height is or what his true weight is either. Uh, but in terms of his technique, uh, he's going to be, uh, just from watching it, he's a double-digit sack guy. You know, had, if he was the size of a Randy Gregory, who in my opinion still isn't the biggest uh, outside linebacker out there anyway, he would be the number one guy on that on this board. No if, and, or buts about it. He would be a top ten pick. Um, and I still, for some reason, uh, maybe it's just because I love his tape, I don't know, but I still think that he's going to be a guy who is going to be in the top ten. I was actually talking to Montel about this the other day when we were doing some of our stuff, and 
he can do it all, and I still, for some reason, think that he's going to sneak in because there's going to be that run. Uh, you know, every, you guys know it better than anybody else in the world. You know yeah. somebody's going to take a run on Shane Ray. Right. You know somebody's going to take Fowler. You know that one of the quarterbacks are going to drop. So, and for me, sitting at 11, uh, you know, with the Vikings, why not get a Vic Beasley or a Shaq Thompson? Um, or, hell, even a – for me, if Danny Shelton was at 11, I would take him. Uh, because you got that means you got you're young and fresh up front. You don't have to worry about Lindell, you know, Lindell Joseph, um, and the way it fits into that scheme uh, with Mike Zimmer, that would be the dream for Danny Shelton in that defense. Because you know you got an up and coming linebacker in Anthony Barr, you got a decent guy at outside linebacker in Chad Greenway. If you re-sign him, you can move him to the middle and maybe keep Hodges out there. You already got two established pass rushers and a star in his own and Everson Griffin, uh, Danny Shelton would be a perfect fit at 11. Um, but I also like Beasley. So, I mean, it's going to be – it's an exciting class. But the biggest thing, is, you know, like we're talking is that it's all going to be predicated on how well they test and what he truly weighs in at. If he weighs at 240 or even 235, like a lot of people are going to be projecting him to, I still, in my opinion, I think he's top 15. Because in terms of – you know, in terms of intangibles, the, the one thing that you never should worry about as a scout is size. Because what's the easiest thing to do is to add weight. Uh, once they get into an NFL weight room or an NFL conditioning program, uh, NFL you know nutrition plan, uh, they're going to add weight. Uh, Clay Matthews is a prime example of that. Uh, that and maybe some HGH on the side. Uh, <laughs> it's for spice. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a proven commodity, and even Von Miller. Von Miller wasn't the biggest outside linebacker coming out of the draft either. Well, uh, I mean, it's, Von Miller weighed in at the senior bowl at 237, for those yeah. who, who have forgotten. And he's playing now still about 249 or 248 or whatever. I mean, I don't know if Vic Beasley will ever be that big, though. I mean, that's the, that is the question. No, he's not that big. He's not that fast. He's not that right. powerful. Not that right. quick. Not the same player. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And, and that was the, you know, that's the only thing that I have that worries me about him is that the moment his agility and his uh, finesse pass rush moves backfire. Um, he yeah, gets, has, gets, he gets swallowed. Gets mauled, gets put on, you know, driven 15 yards down the field. Just like Randy Gregory, you know. Yes, uh, actually. Randy Gregory gets driven 15, 10 yards back in the back of um, by people, and then not play the game the next year. <laughs> For I got an injury, I can't play against Brandon Scherf. But you know, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a guard now, not a tackle. But I can't play against him because I got a little injury, a little boo boo. <laughs> and that's the one thing you can't you can say about um, Leonard Williams. Super tough kid. Played through a rash of injuries. Um, in his time at USC. Now that could also be a red flag, but it's funny. Um, I, I like you am a Sheltonite. Everyone who knows me knows I love Danny Shelton. And I, I was, people were looking at me. There was some mock draft where I took him around, I don't know, 20 something, early twenties. And people were like, they looked at you funny. Yeah. And they looked at me funny. They did. They looked at me funny. And I was like, dude, when the real draft rolls around, (laughs) Come, come talk to me about taking him at 23 or wherever it was I, I, I took him. <laughs> come back to me when when that rolls around. 
But uh, Leonard Williams is a guy that, at the very worst, he'll be decent. At the very worst, you're going to get um, – what's that kid who's with the um, – Fletcher Cox, right? At the very worst, you're going to get like a Fletcher Cox type um, where mm. you move him around, mm. he can do certain things, and he can give you some pass rush, and he's good against the run and whatever. And then obviously – I mean, I'm not going to – Compare anybody to J.J. Watt. I think that's just craziness. Or even um, Seymour. What about Marcus? What about Marcus Spears? Yeah, now that could happen too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he becomes Marcus Spears. I think he's, I think he's more versatile than Spears. And I think he's also quicker than Spears. You know, Spears yeah. wasn't exactly a joker type at LSU. Um, he was pretty much just a three technique. And, you know, a longer three technique to some extent, but not a – no one ever p- tried to make Spears into a joker. And I think he ran 502 at the combine. And it's not impossible that Williams could run 502, but I'm betting he runs faster than that. Oh, I have Leonard at, I mean, reported reportedly like 476, so probably he'll run 4849 actually. Yeah, so that's some, right. My, my guess is he's going to be somewhere in the mid to high 48. Yeah, and I can, I can see that no problem uh, with that kid. Yeah, so he's going he's to intrigue a lot of people. And it'll be interesting to see if some of the teams where people are projecting a quarterback to see if they say no. Um, <laughs> we, it's a tough we sell. Are, it's a who you talk to because, right. like, I, I read the – it was funny. But, you know, Mora, you know, UCLA coach, was um, – Telling all the guys like, you think Mariota is a project guy or whatever? Like he doesn't play the offense. Well, I've watched all this tape of him, and he's not that. He's a special player. You know, I don't. So it's made me go back to the tape. I'm like, geez, well maybe I don't know. Like it's well, just tough, man. It is tough. tough, and but it's two things. Let's not forget that Moore is no longer a pro coach. He no longer is preparing oh, professional teams to play professional football. Yeah. He's now a college coach who's trying to get college kids to realize what a cool dude he is. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He's he's in a different business. And in the business he's in now, he no longer has to give accurate scouting information to NFL teams. Um, I get like, that. I understand that. But I, I don't know. I'm just saying, some of the points he made were, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Marriott in the red zone, you know, scanning the field, finding the guy open in the back, yeah, he can do that. He does that. Know. He's done it all. He yeah. No, I mean, um, I'm not one of those people, that, and of course, I, this, this is going to be a quarterback-free show, but I guess you can never have a completely quarterback-free show. Um, he has a lot of really good qualities, but so did Alex Smith. I mean, this is, this is the thing that you and I have been saying to everybody. I know. People are, people are, people are people only don't thinking, like Alex Smith. Tom people only, they, 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 but they, these, are, these are people who don't they remember do. Alex Smith at Utah. And forgot how good Alex Smith was. I know. They didn't watch the tape. I mean, well, the, the arm, right. well, arm well, was a lot better. Right. His arm was – he hadn't been hurt back then. But, he hadn't been hurt, yeah. And, the, yeah. and the quarterback wins people, you know, the people believe in that. The dude was 23-2 and two at Utah, for those who've forgotten that. Okay. Uh, yeah. If you believe in quarterback wins. But, uh, but I mean, it, hey, he, quote, unquote, beat Alabama. I mean, look at the guy's college career and look at Mariota's college career. And with the exception of Mariota probably running twelve hundredths of a second to eighteen hundredths of a second faster. He'll probably run like four or five, you know. Yeah. 
Right, right, right. And once again, but Alex Smith was four six strong. Though, Alex, and Alex, and Alex, cool. Alex Smith was four six. I mean, yeah. forget people forget how good an athlete he was. So yeah. they're not that different. They're not that different. They're eerily similar as Alex. eerily similar. Yes. But I just thought I don't know. That's what's so tough about this class, man. Because Jameis Winston, too much gunslinger. But that's really all it is, man. It's it's, it's Winston or it's Mariota. Conley does not enter the conversation because he didn't do anything to really improve on last year. So, right. um, like, it's – I understand there's there's Hundley love, but I don't know. Like, I guess if uh, Jake Locker can go in the first round, like, Hundley can, dude. But um, <laughs> I just uh, – I don't know. But the defensive tackle was – I mean, I, I understand what Josh is talking about, that, you know, these guys should go top 15. I think Williams and, and – and those guys are being put in the top ten, top five, because nobody likes the other positions that much. And, and that's a big part of it. And everybody wants to overvalue the, ta- the defensive tackle position and, and those other sort of positions. I mean, honestly, Bill, and I'm not going to lie, I have running backs over Leonard Williams in my personal, you know, <laughs> ranking. Sure. And I know people hate that. With yes, like, because no <laughs> one wants to see running backs go early anymore. Right. They're going to but say, hey, what's wrong with you? It's not 1966 anymore, Jim Coburn. I know. But I mean, I, I'm just, that's just the kind of guy I am. I think those – for their position, right, their special play, like like legit, going to be really, really great players versus Leonard Williams, who I think could be a – I think he could be a near elite guy, but, not you know, not elite. So near elite, though. I don't know. Like, that's my <laughs> – because he just hasn't shown all that stuff yet. But the only – again, Leonard, the thing positive for Leonard Williams is I understand he hasn't been the most consistent guy, but he's also very young, you know. He's 20. He's going to be one of the youngest defensive tackles to enter the draft True. in a while. And he's so also – probably a Moby Okoye, right? Okoye um, was younger, though. But then again, right, I don't right. – why did Okoye happen? <laughs> I don't know. Um Actually, oh, this is crazy, Bill, but Akoye and Williams actually had the same production in college. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Akoye, of course, was six two three oh two, and Williams, I think, is going to be taller than that. Yeah. Um, bigger, bigger. Frame. You know, better leverage and stuff like that. But and he plays um, plays it has a different style of play even. Right. Right. But I don't know, man. I mean, what? what what are we supposed to do? If if we don't take Leonard Williams in the top five, then who are we going to take? You know? Because I don't feel comfortable taking any, any of the quarterbacks in the top five. I don't feel comfortable. I don't really feel comfortable taking a running back because I'll probably lose my job. It's like his knee gives out. Um, I, I, I'm not going to take Brandon Scherf because he's a guard, supposedly. I think he plays tackle, but whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, um T.J. Clemens, maybe, but he's still really raw in a lot of ways. He's not exactly a top-five tackle by any means. Um, see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, who, who well, you got to take somebody. <laughs> right. you got to take somebody. So, who are you really going to tight end? I think Max Williams. That'd be crazy. Um, wide receiver. None of the wide receivers in this class are top-five talent uh, to me. None of them. Um Linebacker, no. So, edge guy, eh, 
Man, I, I, all the Edge guys in this class, I don't know if he was special. I know you guys don't like Shane Ray, but whatever. I, I've recorded the tape. I'll play them It's back. not that I don't like Shane Ray. It's just no, that I... I... I get it. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. It's, I'm just talking about the kind of player I think he's going to be. I never think, think he's going to be a great player. I get it. I understand. I think he's going to be a good player who can do certain things at a high level. I get it. I got the tape. Don't worry. I got the tape. I'll replay him a couple of years. Don't worry. Um, you know. <laughs> I'll replay him. Don't worry. I got I got it taped, so we'll go back. I, I mean, I've gone on the record as saying I would take him late in the first. You know, not early in the first. Oh. Like right at the end. If I if I'm if I am a team like uh, a team that is playing the Super Bowl or a team that almost made the Super Bowl. Heck, if I'm the the Broncos, I can take Shane Ray. It's not a terrible thing to have him. He can do the kinds of things that that I need him to do. And he doesn't have to do the things I don't need him to do. So I wouldn't take him before about 30. But, yeah, if I'm the Broncos, that's not a terrible thing to do is to bring a guy like that in. Um, You've got, you know, obviously Vaughn Miller's going to be around for a while, but DeMarcus Ware is not going to be around for a while. You know, so you're going to need somebody to – I mean, he could probably be that sort of, you know, Jack Backer um, who almost never drops into coverage. And I – I, when I, what I should say, I shouldn't have said he can't cover. I should have said I don't think that'll be. You just haven't cover. seen it, right? That's probably what it comes down to. Yeah. You seen him do it enough. You haven't, you haven't seen him. I don't feel comfortable. I'll put it that way. I don't, do I don't feel comfortable with it. I'll, that, no, that would I get be it. Again, like I said, I get it. I got the tape, so don't worry. <laughs> we'll revisit this in a couple of years. And we will. We'll who was. Wrong about some guys and who wasn't, you know. Yes, and, we will. Hey, we'll got do that. And, and God, and you guys have, you know, your, you know, your other stuff. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yes. yes. It'll be interesting. It will be. It will be very interesting. <laughs> um, okay, so you've heard what Josh said uh, about his right. tackles and. Okay, so. Feel free to react, uh, as I know you shall. T- tell me where you agree, where you disagree, and what your reasoning is behind your agreements and disagreements. Oh, um, Danny Shelton, I'm okay with that. Yeah, positive, because no tackles are rare. So, <laughs> which is why I don't understand why people, a good no tackle, by the way. Very um, good. Are, so, I think in general, I don't understand why people overdraft, I and mean, I kind of get it because they're flashier, but um, I just think that that's, I'm, I'm okay with that. I have no problem with that. Um, especially since he was the best, test, you know, production-wise, he was tackle-wise, he was the best one, so um, I got no problems with that assessment. Um, with Leonard Williams, I have the same issues with him as he does. I just am more so in the belief that, you know, like we've talked about many times, if we if you get Leonard Williams, you know, at eleven or ten, yay! Uh, yeah, yeah, you are you're actually very happy with that. Yes, yeah, right. Very... But if you get him in the top five, which is more likely, you're kind of just you're not really getting any extra stuff. No, you know, you're not really. It's like it was the pick you're supposed to do. You know, your your group think pick, I guess. So, hmm. um. In a way, you know, because you're like you have to, you have to take Larry Williams because he's the best guy or whatever. You know, everybody thinks he's the best guy, so take him. So, um, kind of thing. 
Uh, with Carl Davis, we already talked about my only issues with Carl Davis is not too really, yeah. really bad production. And I do understand, you know, you're talking about the scheme and how they use the tackle there and how we can collapse the pocket. And that's all great and everything like that. But I just think overall, impact-wise, if he, you know, Red Bryant is the best-case scenario, maybe a little bit better athletically, but I don't see him as a long-term crazy impact guy, I guess, <laughs> other than being a, a run, you know, like a Red Bryant guy, you know? I mean, Red yeah, Bryant's not bad, you know? For what he does for defense is really great. But if you're trying to say that Carl Davis has become something other than that, you're projecting stuff that he just hasn't done yet, you know, other than at the Senior Bowl, which, again, it was it was a week event. You know, it was one week. That was it. So I, that's probably, you know, I, I, I like the Senior Bowl definitely, but I, you know, I don't say to put too much into it. I just think, you know, it was one week. You know, what did he do on the tape? And I do understand the scheme stuff, but I, the other stuff just makes me go, eh, I get that, but I'm not going to bank my job on that, you know, like I'm I'm just not gonna you know, again, it's not gonna touch that guy till, you know, late third round, for me at least. Um in terms of uh, like Michael Bennett, uh, you know, we already talked about him, really not that great production, but could it be scheme or not? I don't know. But again, you wanna find out in the NFL, you know? Um and also, I don't think he's bad. I just think he's good. Malcolm Brown, I already talked about him. I really like Malcolm Brown from all the tape I've seen, especially UCLA tape, um, just showing his uh, just his intelligence and his motor and everything else about him. Uh, he's just a guy where if I you know, get him in late first, you know, or even if he falls around too, I mean, I know I'm going to get a really good player. It's going to give high effort and, you know, very good. And also will probably test really good physically. Uh, and with Eddie Goldman, as we already talked about, um, really bad production. Yep. Um, Tape-wise, technique is eh, you know. And, and he's, playing a, he's playing on a line with guys, a lot of other talented players. Yeah, there's that, but... but I'm saying I was, you should see more. I mean, it's not like they're saying we got to stop Eddie Goldman, that's all you have to worry about. He's playing on a team where you can't just put all your attention on him. He, he flashes occasionally, but where's the rest of him? Right, but he's not consistent in he's, every game. He's the opposite. And I saw that you add in the effort level throughout the game, he's four or five plays, a series, and then that's it. He's done for another quarter, you know. <laughs> like, it's the problem I have with Florida State players, man. Like, they just are not very conditioned. Um, he definitely is going to test really good physically, but I just – I don't – I just don't like his, you know, like overall, like I don't think he's ever going to be a great player. I think the physical tools are there enough to be a starter, but I don't see anything more than that. So, I don't know. That's how I kind of feel about it, you know. And, again, I'm a little bit different. And I've seen the tape of Eddie Goldman. His tape is, eh, you know, like I just, like Michael Brown to me, effort-wise and everything else, like I'd rather take the guy with effort, and actually knows what's going on because that's the difference really between Goldman and, and Brown as well is that Brown's a guy that can diagnose things, replays, chase down plays, uh, do all the stuff that Goldman's not doing, you know. So 
And I think they'll probably test very similar as well. They'll probably test exactly the same, actually. It's just one of them wore a Seminole jersey, the other one wore a Texas jersey. Right. Right. Um, Josh Zimmer, who are some, who's somebody that people aren't talking about that you think might be one of the D tackles that might, whether it be through a combine process or for whatever reason, gets discovered later or people sort of trip across him and, and he gets on the radar who isn't on the radar yet? Well, I think the biggest one uh, that I mentioned already that nobody has really talked about yet is uh, Tonga, uh, Tonga Takai, uh, defense tackle at the University of Montana. A uh, very versatile type player. Uh, he's played in the shade. He's played in a three technique. And even sometimes in pass rushdowns, they move him out to a five technique. Uh, he's six foot two, 220, 230 pounds, uh, from what I'm being told. Um, but the dude has great hands. Uh, when you watch his tape, uh, he can kind of compare a lot to Derek Locke. Um, very versatile, very fast, aggressive, violent, uh, rarely gets blown off the ball. And in the Big Sky Conference, uh, that's something that we see often is our running game. Uh, not a whole lot of spread teams anymore, uh, with the exception of, you know, of course, Eastern Washington, but now even that could potentially change with Vernon Adams jumping ship to Oregon and Montana State are virtually really only the, the pure spread teams. Most of them are uh, run it down your throat type teams, and he's done extremely well uh, over the process there. Another guy that I really like that people aren't really talking about was, again, uh, Grady Jarrett. It's a guy that people are kind of a little bit mum about. There's not a whole lot of buzz circulating around him. Uh, Latarius Walton out of Central Michigan. Uh, I really like this kid's tape. Uh, 6'5", 321. Uh, he can kind of kind of like a Leonard Williams. Uh, you don't really know where you're going to play him yet. Um, I project him to be anywhere between a 3 technique and a shade and a 4-3. I just don't think he's fit to play in a 3-4. Uh, and then, of course, Lewis Trinkapasat. Um, what helps him out is, again, uh, you know, the fact that I was known for pumping out solid defensive linemen. Uh, the fact that he played with Carl Lewis this year helped put him on the map because Carl Lewis has seen a lot of double teams. And he's a pretty versatile player. Uh, at 6'1", 291, he kind of has the size of, you know, Grady Jarrett and Aaron Donald, and he kind of plays like it too. Uh, was overshadowed by Drew Ott and, of course, uh, Carl Davis this year. Had a fantastic year uh, as a defensive lineman for them. Uh, even had himself a good senior bowl. Uh, again, he showed some of the same things that, Carl Davis did in terms of being able to get upfield on a pass rush and stuff, and uh, guys like that. Uh, again, Ellis McCarthy is a guy that people aren't really buzzing about. Uh, they're more so on saying, oh, well, you know, why is this kid coming out right now? Uh, during the season, this was a kid who was projected to be a first-round pick, and now he's jumped all the way down to the fourth round. Uh, but when you watch his tape, uh, there is some things there that allow him uh, a little bit of leeway to be like, you know what, he can be a transitional player. Uh, maybe in a year or two, take a redshirt year to learn. Uh, kind of like the Vikes did with David Yankee, get a little bit stronger. Uh, that's his biggest thing is his strength. Uh, for his size at 6'4", 330, he doesn't possess the strength of a 6'4", 330-pound man. Uh, he possesses the strength of a 6'1", 275-pound man that is virtually no muscle to him at all. Um, so that's one thing that he's going to have to get extremely – uh, improve that. It's just building up his upper body strength. Uh, he does have big enough legs to where he does do a good job of sitting and sinking. But again, um, in terms of this class, there's really only eight guys that I really, really like 
Uh, there's a couple guys that are creating a lot of buzz, um, some of those being smaller school-type players. But for the most part, uh, I felt like some of these kids should have really uh, took the extra year in college to get better. Uh, McCarthy and then, of course, Phillips being the two main guys that I believe uh, should have taken the extra year uh, at their respective schools. Yeah, I, when a guy comes out as early as Phillips does, he's got two years of eligibility left, usually unless you are truly sort of a transcendent kind of prospect, I usually think it's an enormous mistake. You know, you're Michael Vick at quarterback. Even then it was kind of a mistake, but I can kind of understand it. But again, he's been there since 2011, though. Like, he's like, – I understand if he was saying he's really young, I – I, I don't think he's as young as everybody makes it out to be because even though he's a redshirt sophomore, he's been there for like four years already. Like that's how long he's been there. But he only has two years of playing experience. He has his redshirt and year and then this season. And it and it shows at times. It, yeah. So in terms of tape, there's not really a whole lot of tape that you can go off this kid and be like, wow, he's exciting. Uh, <laughs> he's not like a Jameis Winston or a Johnny Manziel who came out as redshirt sophomores and people were glamored because of their tape. Uh, this is a kid who does have some flaws that are going to hurt him in the process, and I'm more than willing to say that you're going to see it at the combine. Um, I think he's going to come in a little bit overweight. Uh, I don't think he's going to run very well. I don't think he's going to bench very well compared to some of the other prospects. And I really don't think his on-field drills are going to be as great as some of these people are projecting it to be. Uh, So this is really a make-or-break time for Jordan Phillips since he decided to come out two years early. Right. And when you don't have the tape, you can't afford to – then you really can't afford to have a a surprise. Right. But he does have the media hype because every place I look at – like, and I agree with you on Phillips, definitely. I never – tape-wise, I just didn't get it. But I just – like, everywhere, it's like he's in the first round. So, not to say that the media doesn't know things, but there must be something. Like, some team out there that's just like, oh, we love him. But it's like, I don't know. We'll find <laughs> like, out. But <laughs> Like, I'm just saying it'd be a mistake to take him in the first round, you know? Like, that's yeah. really what I mean, you know? Because he hasn't done anything other than being a physical specimen, kind of. I mean, we'll see what he is. But, you know. And, again, no proof of backflip either, you know. <laughs> yes, no that's, proof. That's the one thing I, I think we need to get proof. settled. We need somebody who has. I could look has... at the backflip right now and get you tape. No tape of Jordan Phillips backflip. None. So I don't believe it. I don't believe it until I see it. <laughs> so, yeah. That's like Josh Shaw jumping out of a window to save a little child. <laughs> like, you, so you need you need someone to come forward with the actual footage of the backflip is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. If you're going to tell me that a six foot five, three hundred and thirty or forty, maybe fifty actually, uh, pound guy did a backflip, a standing backflip, there's got to be video evidence. Otherwise, that did not happen. Mythbusters probably will do a show on this because I don't believe it. Um, I'll touch on a couple of more guys. No offense to you and Fresno State, but – and Tyler Davidson actually is not a bad bad player, but he's he's one of those guys where I I can't help but wonder why he's there as opposed to some other guys. 
But you obviously know Tyler Davidson better than most, Jim. Tell us about him and what he might be at the next level. Well, he's a nice guy. Um, well, that's good to know. <laughs> approachable, um, talkative, um, kind of shy, I guess. Well, well, hey, know. let's see if we can get – you know what? Next time you see him, see him <laughs> tell him we'd like to have him on the show. But uh, So he's approachable. Right. He's he's a nice guy, but he's not – he's humble. He's thrifty. He's brave. He's considerate. These are These are great things if you want someone to date your daughter. What I'm wondering is what might be a football player. If you want to know that, uh, he's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Logan Harrell was better than him, though. Right. Yeah. Um, a while ago. Right. I wouldn't say they're Logan similar. Harrell was a little bit smaller and more explosive. And more explosive. Um. All I can think is, you know, Mountain West quota. That's all I can really think. Um, Mountain West scout and some little office, right, is like, all right, we need to get Mountain West prospects. You're in charge. Who do we invite to the combine? Well, Tyler Davis, kind of, yeah. Okay, Tyler Davis, all right, we'll invite him. Yeah, that's all I can imagine, honestly. Um, So he he gets there over Travis Rossidi because of that? Yes. Yes. Well, Travis Rossidi, that happens because of Jerron Gilbert. Remember Jerron Gilbert? Yes, he came here. I saw him in Chicago up close a couple times. Well, you know, that's all I can imagine is teams were like, I don't know, like there's not been that many fights. Like that's all I can say, man, is plus there's some tape of Rossidi where he doesn't look – as impressive physically as you you want, and then people add the Mountain West to it, and then they go turn their nose up, I guess, is all I can really say. Even though Henry Anderson and Rossidi, I mean, Anderson's better, but Rossidi and Anderson are yeah, kind of similar. You know? Kind of, kind of, yeah. Anderson's longer, Rossidi's stronger. Boom, we're done. A um, couple more guys. We haven't discussed Mario Edwards Jr. Well, we have discussed him, but we haven't discussed him recently. Mm. Um, he's yet another one of the Florida State guys that is just underwhelmed you for the past few years. Well, I should say you. Underwhelmed me for the past few years. I remember people talking about him as a future first-rounder when he was like a sophomore, and I was like, okay, let me really watch this guy. And just, I was like, no, you haven't seen the tape. Watch his new tape. Watch his, watch his you know, pick this new sample out. Yeah. <laughs> So I've been watching this guy for three years now, Jim, waiting to see a first rounder. I'm still waiting. I I don't I don't understand. Yeah, and that Syracuse tape doesn't help his cause either. No, I don't get the excitement. I don't understand what people saw or were seeing. I don't know how he got to be a five star recruit. I don't I don't get any of it. I don't I don't get any of it. I I see. A guy, you know, if this guy were at uh, Montana, he wouldn't be all conference. True. Yeah, but he plays Florida State. Oh God, help me. He's got the bloodlines, man. But he does have the bloodlines. So unless he can take his dad with him on the field, though, I don't know if that's going to help him. 
I don't know. I mean, he he's another like like Goldman, um, flashes stuff. Yeah. Yep. And you know, that's enough for some people. You know? Okay then. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on Mario Edwards Jr.? Well, he's he's another one of those guys that you know uh, he's kind of a tweener. Um, you don't know if he's going to be a defensive tackle. You don't know if he's going to be a defensive end. Um, he's one of those guys that I can feel comfortable playing as a five technique. Um, his tape is very average at best. Uh, we're talking day two, day three type stuff. Uh, he just he he's not flashed what everybody thought he was going to, myself included. Uh, when you throw on his junior tape, you can kind of see some of the, the traits and the flashes of like, oh, like, damn, this could could be a first-round pick. And then you throw on this year's tape, and it's like, oh, wow. Like, So, wait, is that? No, that's Eddie Goldman. So you kind of get lost in the shuffle uh, with him. And, you know, he's one of those guys that, again, uh, with some of these players that we talked about already, uh, the combine is going to be the make or break for him. Uh, this is where he's going to be able to really, truly jump his stock. Um, you know somebody's going to take a run at him. And, you know, they're going to go back and look at his tape and be like, all right, well, he does this really well. He does this do this very well, so we make sure we won't put him in that type of position, but uh, I used to be a fan, and I've kind of dropped that fat, uh, like a bad habit. Um, I'm waiting for him to kind of prove something to me. I'm kind of trying to go back to have somebody else on Twitter or anywhere else that I hear my news from point something out that kind of makes me go, hmm, and makes me go back and watch the tape, but uh, I'm just, I'm not, not the Mario Edwards Jr. fan that I used to be. Um, He has a long ways to go. But he, but he shouldn't, obviously. I mean, here's a guy who, you know, has been around the games. He was an infant. Good point. Uh, goes, a long way to go and a short time to get there. Right. He's at a big-time program where all the coaching you could ever want is right. Uh, is was, it really? Are you sure? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But a lot of well-known coaches are there. I'll put it that way. A lot of coaches. Well-known coaches, but well, the, with big reputation. Been up to snuff, at least recently. You know, now the 2000 defensive tackles. You know, Corey Simon, Darnell Dockett, right? Those guys. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. But these guys, Jimmy Dernigan, and uh, you know. Eddie Goldman and Mario Edwards Jr. You know, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, it's just interesting that, like I said, there's always going to be guys that I'm going to wish were there that won't be there and guys that are, that are there that I'm going to question. But it just jumps out at me when it comes to this particular position in this particular year when I look at some of the guys that aren't at the Combine, as opposed to some of these guys where, you know, we just talked about Blackson, like, what? You know, and, you know, Florida State, I guess, is, you talk about quotas. There's your quota, Jim. You know, the Florida State quota. I mean, that's that's a, that's a got to be a quota thing where we've got to have at least, you know, oh, there's two draft-eligible D-tackles. Well, we need both of them because of, because Florida State. But, and yes, I mean, who knows? Maybe both of them will have fantastic combines and all will be forgiven. 
but right. I... <laughs> well, what about Darius V. Lone from Arkansas? Yes, there we go. Any love, love for him? Mr. Filon. Um, I'll, I'll I'll ask our guest, Josh. What do you see when you look at Mr. Darius Filon from, <laughs> from uh, Arkansas? What can he be? What is he now? And where does he fit at the next level? Uh, he's he's a guy that I haven't watched a whole lot of. Yet, um, I've seen a lot of Trey Flowers when I watched the Arkansas. Yay! Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm a fan. He's still a guy that you know. I, he's still a guy. It might be a Chicago thing with you and Montel, but he's still a guy that I'm trying to warm up to Trey Flowers. <laughs> I'm trying to live up to him a little bit. Uh, he's he's a technician. He's not gonna blow your mind ever with what he does. He's just gonna be a solid guy. He's going to be a guy who can play right away because he understands so much about how to play football. But he'll never be—he'll never be the guy. He'll be the guy on the other side from the guy who's the guy. Exactly. But in, in terms, you know, in terms of the other guy, uh, you know, I haven't really had a chance to, to uh, really suck in all of his tape yet. I think I've maybe got one game in yet. Um, his size is what kind of concerns me. I mean, six two two seventy two. Uh, so are you going to play him as a 4-3 defensive end? Are you going to play him as a 3-4 defensive end? Is he even agile enough to be a 3-4 defensive end? Uh, those are questions that yet are going to be remain to be seen until we see him at either the combine or the pro day. I can't remember if he got invited or not, um, but that's something that we're going to have to wait and see for because I, I don't see it uh, on the tape that I have watched. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, like I said, I've only gotten maybe one and a half of a tape through this guy yet. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that once I get through, you know, again, being a redshirt sophomore, that's the biggest thing for me is I'm not, as a defensive lineman, I'm just not a huge fan of seeing guys come out as redshirt sophomores. Um, You know, there's so much learning that you have to do at this position. You know, it's not like quarterback or receiver or running back. Uh, You know, in terms of playing the defensive line, you've got to be physically grown. And truly, as a redshirt sophomore, you're, they say, according to doctors, you're physically grown. But in terms of football, you are not physically grown yet. But you haven't developed the normal muscle capabilities that you were, uh, fast-twitch fibers, things of that nature that are going to help create you into a, you know, a, a Carl Davis or a Leonard Williams or even a Danny Shelton. Uh, so that's kind of a, you know, a risk for me, again. But, uh, you know, he's definitely one that I'm – kind of keep an eye on just because of the fact that he is a sophomore, uh, because it's always interesting to see uh, where these younger guys go, especially guys that you don't expect to come out that do uh, end up going and then make you realize and be like, hey, well, maybe they should have stayed another year. Uh, So that's kind of the approach that I'm going to take. I'm going to try and be as optimistic as possible, but that's kind of the approach that I'm going to take with with him going out. So We'll go through a couple more of members of the D-tackle class. And here's a guy that I, I think – I don't know if people are sleeping on him exactly, but here's a guy I expect to have a good day at the at the combo and, and I, I think people are going to wake up to him a little bit more, is uh, Christian Covington from Rice. I was recently re-watched their bowl game, and he showed me a lot of activity. I wouldn't say he's a technician exactly, but his technique wasn't – I mean, compared to the Florida State guys, his technique was great. But uh, his technique wasn't bad. Um, Like I said, a lot of activity. He seemed to work, you know, outside of just his little zone of movement, which is something we talk about a lot of times with defensive tackles. If they 
you know, if they can work beyond just a very tight area. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you, um, you're, you're our, our D-line expert. Tell me about Christian Covington and, and what are what are his opportunities to become uh, something. Kind of the same that you, you've, uh, you've kind of shared already, uh, just from going back uh, and explaining what you saw through the bowl game. Uh, the thing with him is that he's a fairly consistent player. Uh, what you see from him in one game, you're going to see from him from the next. Uh, but that's also a red flag because if you see a negative in one game, you also see it in the next game that you watch as well. Right. So in terms of learning and transitioning, uh, he's still trying to do that. But I like him. I like his size. I mean, 6'3", 295, but that's ideal. Um, right now I have him late day two. Uh, potentially could jump into, you know, that late second if he has a great pro day and a good combine. Um, I'm excited to see how he's going to test out and measure. Um, you know, that's for me, that's really, I don't care what they run, at least for the interior defense tackles. You really care less if you run a 4 or 5 40. If you do, that's that's fantastic, good for you. But what I'm excited about is I'm going to be more interested to watch how he moves in the drills that they're going to put him in. I don't, again, uh, don't necessarily really care too much about his, you know, his uh, vertical. His broad jump is going to be the one that I want because that's uh, basically a measure of explosiveness. Uh, that you can kind of take away from it. But the bench press is going to be the biggest one for me. Um, you know, playing at Rice, he doesn't get a chance to really play against true-level competition. Uh, you know, they get that one or two games a year. But other than that, they really don't see a whole lot. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how he's going to match up in terms of some of these other kids. And that's really going to be the, the telling sign of this kid is whether or not he can match up to these kids physically. Because tape-wise, he can't. Uh, Tape-wise, I don't put him past, you know, Gabe Wright or even uh, the Washington State kid, uh, Cooper from Washington. Cooper, uh, yeah. I think they have some of, the, some of the same quality, some of the same traits. Obviously, one way is heavier than the other. But can he physically be matched with those kids? Uh, that's the question that has yet to be uh, seen. Um, you can go back and watch, uh, I believe it was when they played Texas uh, that was a so-so game for him. He had a lot of flashes, but at the same time, he also had a lot of, you know, made you kind of bite your tongue and bite your lip on it because uh, it was just that bad. But uh, he's a good player. Like I said, I have him projected early, uh, you know, early day two, late day two, uh, somewhere in that area. Now, if he tests well and has a great pro day and looks even better and his on-field drills, his hits are fluid, his movement's very good, he's a guy who can jump up. Because, um, like I said, after, after that top five or top six, uh, it's basically for the taking. Uh, anybody can kind of knock those guys out um, after that. So you can, you know, basically if you want to hold yourself up to it, after the top five you can start a new list of uh, tier two. Um, all of these guys after those initial, that initial list that I read earlier uh, have a chance to become that number one guy in tier two. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I, there's a couple more guys I want to touch on, and then I'll, I'll bring James back in. So, uh, in this class, we've touched on Cooper a little bit. Obviously, your guy Brown um, got discussed. Uh, we tore apart Mr. Eddie Coleman pretty well. Uh, and I think Josh wasn't here when we talked about Armstead, but we sort of, I think we sort of reached a consensus that he's Certainly an interesting-looking prospect, yes. but his his play isn't quite as interesting. Um, 
so looking at some of the other guys who were who were left, and obviously uh, Bennett obviously uh, came up as well. But looking at some of the guys who are who are who remain, some of the others, uh, there are some of those guys will probably the guys we just discussed are guys that many of them are guys going to go in the first three rounds, first hundred or so selections, probably more than an average year, as we. I think Corey said it's a, probably a, a, a deeper group of, of interior tackles than in an, sort of an average year. Or is it? Well, okay, Jim disagrees. But is it? Wh- where do you think it this year this year's class falls amongst those that you've been analyzing? Well, I mean, I I don't I don't see a lot of sure things at the defensive tackle position. Okay, not to say that there ever is sure things in this business. But I just mean it in a way of, like with the running back class, I don't, I, I don't have to feel bad if I take one in round two, round three. I know what I'm getting. If that makes any sense with a lot of the running backs in this draft class. Um, wide receiver wise, I know what I'm getting. Um, offensive line, I kind of know what I'm getting. Uh, the defensive tackle class, I know what I'm getting, but then I don't know. It's I, I know what I'm getting, but, like, there's still a chance that there's something else. <laughs> so, like, that's how I view it. I think that, the, I mean, it's top-heavy. There's three guys, I think, in my personal opinion, that are the guys to get. And then it's just a large, you know, other than guys like Henry Anderson, which I view him you know, as a five-tech in a three-four. Um and Covington, I think there's definitely three tech possibilities. Um, Passat, good, you know, rotational guy. Um, you know, and we we're talking about Brown. And, but after those guys, I just see a lot of guys that are backups. And physically speaking, maybe they put the stuff together physically to become something like Carl Davis or Eddie Goldman. But there's also a chance that they don't. So that's how I view this. I don't really view it as like yeah, like if I get a running back or a wide receiver, I know what he's gonna do. <laughs> like I have a pretty good idea of what I'm getting in terms of like what they're gonna do, um, in terms of you know production and just what their what their general career arc's gonna be. Um, with the defensive tackle class, once you get past a certain part, I don't know what these guys are gonna do, and at least most likely it's not going to be good, and if it is good, I don't know how good it's really going to be. So, and I don't think all of them are going to hit. I don't think all of them are going to debunk uh, the trends, I guess is, is a better way to put it. So, right. it's it's that type of thing. Like, I don't think all the guys who, who didn't produce a lot are all of a sudden going to be great. Um, I think probably one of them or two of them might do that, but then again, they might not. So, that's how I view this defense tackle. I see guys that are, I see Larry Williams, I see Danny Shelton, I see, you know, I see uh, uh, Malcolm Brown, I see, uh, you know, in fact, that, that's about it. And everybody else is kind of maybe, you know, maybe they become something that they've never really been or not. So that's that's what I worry. That's That's my constant struggle. That's my struggle with this class, Bill. And that's a, a lot of other positions, um, kind of, uh, is I, I don't feel comfortable 
with uh, the team of Zach the West because of that reason, because I really don't. I can't say firmly, you know, a good chance of what they're going to do because most likely they're not going to be that great. Got yeah. it. Got it. Um, so I'll just touch on a few more guys and then we'll we'll wrap this sucker up. There's – we touched briefly on Xavier Cooper. I wanted to, to uh, touch a little bit more on him and then hit, like I said, some of the, some of the next guys. I think you, Josh, said that you thought he had a chance to be a starter and be solid but not spectacular. Is that is that essentially what you said about Cooper? Uh, we we talking Xavier Cooper, correct? Yes, right, Xavier Cooper, yes. Yeah, uh, Xavier Cooper to me is a guy who can come in right away uh, and play. Uh, it depends on what system you want to use him in. Uh, 6'4", 298, I'd like to see him as a three technique um, just because I'd like to have a little bit of size in between uh, interiorly. But uh, he, he's a guy, you know, like I said, he can come in and play right away. Uh, there's no harm done if he doesn't. Um, the thing with him that I like is that he has a great motor. Um, he has pretty – it's weird to say it, but he has good ball instincts. Uh, he knows where the quarterback's eyes are usually going to be. Um, not necessarily a slot machine, uh, nor does he collapse the pocket great but he does do a good job of knowing where the eyes are to be able to get into the throwing lane and, and try and somehow disrupt uh, the trajectory of the throw. Um, that's something that I look for a lot in interior defense tackles because, I mean, let's be real, uh, it's very rare that you're going to get a guy who can become a multi-digit sack master, sack yeah. team. Yeah, uh, they are the exception rather than the rule, yes. Yes, in the, yes, in the exception of the rules, you know, it's hard to find. Uh, so what I'm more concerned at is I want to look at, uh, and it's again, this is going to sound weird when I say it, but the J.J. Watt-ish qualities of a defensive tackle. Uh, do they do a good job at the line of scrimmage of, you know, at least trying to dent the pocket? If they can't dent the pocket, do they have at least good awareness to where they can actually stay in front of the quarterback they can kind of somewhat change his step-up uh, routine or even change the trajectory of the ball. Uh, do they get their hands up when the ball is in the air? Uh, do they make it even look like an attempt? Uh, those are some of the things that I look for, and when you see that in Cooper, uh, it's a good sign. You know, I have him right now as you know a tweener in between the second and third round. I think if he goes second round, he could be high as you know within the first couple picks. Uh, all the way to the end of the third round. Um, I think that's just kind of where the spectrum lies, again, within those elite crew of defensive tackles. But he's a guy that I really like. He's, I've actually kind of grown on him a little bit more uh, than I've had the chance to sit and watch his tape. Um, when I went and watched his tape, I thought the two games that really stood out to me is I thought he played extremely well against Oregon, uh, especially disrupting the way that they run their, you know, their zone read or their read option, whatever you want to call it, uh, out of no huddle. Uh, that's something that's kind of surprising, a, a 6'4", 298-pound guy, being able to stay on the field and keep a solid motor against a, uh, an up-tempo, no huddle offense. Um, but, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a guy that I've enjoyed. Um, you know, going back, if I were to redo my list now, I would put him over Michael Bennett. Because um, Ben is a guy, for me, that's starting to slide a little bit, but I just, you know, haven't made my second list. Um, but Cooper is gaining steam. Uh, you know, uh, Jim talked about guys, uh, you know, having media on him with Jordan Phillips. I feel like Cooper is the opposite. Uh, yes. 
he's not climbing boards because of the media. He's climbing boards because of his play. And I will not be surprised if he tests well at his pro day and has a good combine and teams go and really sit down and really look at this kid. Uh, if he isn't in that top five defensive lineman discussion uh, heading into that final week, week and a half of uh, of draft week. Okay. I want to have a couple more guys. But, yeah, I, I agree. I, I like Cooper more and more, and I just recently drafted him in mock draft. Um, Leon Orr, a controversial figure. Um if Donver were here, he'd be telling us about, you know, where he was ranked coming out of high school. He was, a, I think, a four-star recruit and very highly prized by a lot of people. And then he proceeded to, one, not have the greatest of careers at Florida, and then, of course, get in some trouble. Uh, well, by trouble, quit on, quit on his team. Um, when you're evaluating guys, Josh, and a guy does something like that, how much does that – influence how you look at that guy as a prospect? Uh, well, for me and Leon Orr, I, I have completely dropped him off my board. Um, and that's just because, uh, I mean, obviously he has good tape, but that's not a, you know, that's that's a completely different character concern. That's not a character concern of, uh, well, he gets into drugs or he got in a fight or he's just an idiot in public like Winston, Peters, and uh, Doral Green Beckham, this is just the fact that this kid's ego was hurt and then he walked out on his team. Uh, if he did it in college, especially in Florida, which is the SEC school, uh, everybody in your shoes, hell, if I was still playing, I would have took his scholarship in a heartbeat. Um, I would have been like, here, sign me up. I'm not as good as him, but I'll fill it just as well. Uh, I would have taken his scholarship in a heartbeat and he walked out on his team just because he wasn't starting. Like, come on, man. Like, Let's let's grow up a little bit. I mean, yeah, you were some great high school prospect, but you haven't shown diddly in college to prove that you're deserving of holding that spot. But, again, he walked out on his team. So, for me, if he was able to do it in college with the players that he plays with, which are going to be NFL players, uh, what makes it say that he's not going to be able to – that he's going to not do that when, once he gets to the pros and he's making his money? Um you know, for me, that's that's a huge red flag. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I can deal with a guy who, uh, you know, happens to get into trouble with drugs or he just doesn't get along with the coaching staff or maybe they just wore button heads periodically. And then, of course, Jameis Winston, just because he was an idiot, uh, those are things that you can correct. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's an issue that you can correct uh, because that's basically a player, you know, being a sourpuss uh, in – light terms yes yes and we all know that coaches when they go back to talk about young men and whether they want them or not don't always use polite terms you'll be lucky if he gets called a sourpuss in when some of those conversations happen uh same question for you jim how much does this play into your evaluation of a guy like leon or you know the way I look at it is, is he was not tape wise. He was kind. Of, I don't like Florida guys that much, uh, at least on their defensive line. Like even easy, you know, Dominic Easley, who was a guy that everybody was raving about in explosiveness and this and that. Um, I saw him kind of over pursuing plays 
you know, getting out of position too much. Um, uh, and with or the tape was it wasn't bad, but I just wasn't really blown away by it. But then when you hear about him quitting on the team and the, all this other craziness, I just kind of wonder like, why did he get invited to the combine? You know, like what what exactly are you going to learn um, about him? at the combine that's going to change your mind, I guess, you know, like that, it should be pretty documented about what he did. And, uh, I, I, I think teams are more enamored with the fit again, the physical stuff. Cause I think he definitely probably physically gifted of a player, but in terms of, you know, mental toughness and stuff like that, I, I don't really think he has that, which I think mental toughness is something you need more, football than, you know, physical stuff. Well, you mentioned physical. I mean, you're metrics. What do you think he is physically speaking, James? Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. Um, hmm. Physically speaking, all I've heard is he's probably going to run like a 505.40, right? So something like that. At least that was what was reported at Florida. So it's probably less than that, possibly. <laughs> um, he's uh, oh, he's he's going to be about 64305. He'll probably run like maybe five flat, maybe at best, maybe 505. And, uh, and that's about it. Production-wise, he also is another guy that wasn't that productive. And uh, like this, I just don't really feel comfortable taking a guy that, uh, you know, you know, a sourpuss is a good turn to put. Um, but uh, just just a guy that's the attitude, you know, uh, guy that – I mean, I know it's tough, man, it's Florida, but there's there's other teams, you know, out guys go through losing seasons and they don't quit on their team, you know. Um, I It's just, you know, like when you get to NFL, if your team loses a lot of games, are you going to quit on your team too? So, but in terms of physical makeup, he, I, I, like I said, I think he'll test well, but I don't think people should care about whether you test well or not. I think the interviews are going to be the bigger part of the evaluation complex. Got it. Uh, Moving on to David Perry from Stanford. Josh, what do you think of him? He's sort of a old school guy in well, in my estimation. What do you see in him? Uh, he he is kind of old school. Um, he has a very mean demeanor, and I like that. Uh, he's very strong at the point of attack. Seems to kind of refine his tools a little bit. Um, kind of gets a little high at times, and also tends to stop his feet at the point of attack. Uh, which allows him to be driven off the ball and virtually uh, controlled at the line of scrimmage uh, on double teams. Um, but for the most part, uh, when he does play double teams, he does a good job of either sitting and sinking or sitting or sinking and swimming uh, to split it. It's a very powerful punch, but uh, again, at times the technique kind of gets, you know, throughout the game he gets a little tired and uh, – his arms and his, basically his placement in, in his strike becomes a little sporadic. Uh, those are things that need to be touched up. Uh, not the most agile of players. I mean, he's not going to be like a Danny Sheldon and you're going to see him run a guy 15 yards downfield. 
but in terms of tackle to tackle box, uh, he's going to get it done. Uh, he's a guy that I like. Uh, he's a guy that I have to keep a little bit more of an eye on. Uh, he's kind of jumped onto me late uh, in the process so far. But uh, in terms of those other guys, man, uh, he doesn't necessarily compare. Um, those are kind of like my comparisons right now. And, uh, you know, I, I like him. I have to, like I said, I have to go back and watch his 2013 tape. I've, I've seen all of his 2014. Um, and I want to see if there's any adjustments that he's made. Because the one thing I do like about his tape is that, you know, we talked about uh, Covington being kind of, you know, being consistent both negatively and positively. Uh, you don't necessarily see that a whole lot with this kid. Um, if he messes up in a, in, in a situation one game, uh, he fixes it the next. Um, and he, or he might have one slip up and that's it. Um, he's a very fine player. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's as of right now, that's that's virtually all the notes that I have on this kid. But uh, I do expect him to kind of turn some heads a little bit in the process and help jump his draft stock a little bit. I have him anywhere between the sixth or the fourth and sixth round right now. Excuse me. Gotcha, uh, Jim. What where what's your analysis in terms of what he might be uh, based on both physical things that you might know about him and and production. Um, undrafted free agent, backup, defensive tackle, most likely. Um, at Stanford, which is kind of what he was a lot of time. <laughs> like, I understand he, he was in a rotation and he did his thing. Um, I think he's a, sol- he's a solid player. He definitely has the size. I don't know how he's going to test athletically. Um, typically, Stanford players are a little stiffer than <laughs> usual. I think he's not as stiff as other guys, but I think overall he'll test fine and everything, but I just don't think there was anything that jumped off the tape um, or in the numbers that's really going to get a team excited about him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what's, you know, I mean, most likely career-wise, I mean, get, you know, back up probably under a free agent. If he can break through, you know, somewhere, um, then he could – work his way into a backup role, but um, he might not as well. But it just depends. Okay, moving on. Bobby Richardson, to me, is one of the more surprising names. A bit of a pleasant surprise, but I didn't think I was going to see his name when the uh, combine came out. Uh, But I guess Indiana is getting more respect. James, first of all, tell people – when you look at guys like that who come from, I mean, it's a Big Ten program. It's not like we're talking like some program that's off the beaten path, but there have been many years when there's been nobody invited from Indiana to the Combine. So I guess they're rounding a, a corner in that. They've, they've had a couple of guys invited the last few years, and the trend has continued. And then once again, talk about how you think he projects based on your analysis. Uh, sure. Um, you know, well, that's one thing I actually wanted to get into a little bit more as I keep doing the stuff is um, tracking, like, is it a specific coach? You know what I mean? Like a specific – because you hear all these talks about coaches who are like receiver coaches who coach this guy, coach that guy, and see if it's a coach or if it's the talent. You know, like, because everybody, you know, everybody goes to college football talent, but a lot of times coaching is the biggest difference between guys who end up playing 
you know, really well and guys who don't. Um, when it comes to Indiana and Bobby Richardson, I just look more so at, you know, the conference he played in um, and how his production stacked up with guys in his conference. Sure. Um, and that sort of thing. Um, with him, he, I mean, tape-wise, tape I saw a three-tech. Uh, he definitely was fast. Um, he had uh, he had a you know decent swim move stuff like that. He looks a little small, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't look like the biggest guy, you know, probably ten pounds less than you would want. Um, and overall, I mean, his he, he you know again I hate to say production wise, but you know just production wise he just was not um, he didn't end up with a bunch of guys that were really that. Um, impressive, um, or at least the guys that were around him had more physical tools to work with than him. Um, guys like Marcel Darius, Albert Hansworth, stuff like that. So um, I think that there's definitely three-tech potential and like a rotational three-tech guy, but um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if if he could become a starter or not. Um, the tape-wise, like I said, it was um, it was good, not great, but he's definitely interesting. Okay, same question for you, Josh. Uh, what do you think might be in the offing for him? You know, how do you analyze a guy like that? I mean, obviously, you know, like I said, he's he's a guy that is sort of like, you know, we talked about Aaron Donald, we talked about uh, Grady Jarrett on the smaller side, but a guy that has, you know, made his way this far by being – crafty and productive and quick and what do you see uh, in the future for him this is uh we're talking bobby richardson still correct yep yep from indiana uh kind of the same way uh that james does uh you know in gonna have to find a way to crack the lineup uh you know my thing right now is uh his 13 tape is abysmal his 14 tape is better um (laughs) I think he has a chance that once he kind of gets on an NFL team, uh, he has a chance to crack the lineup in terms of a role player, uh, develop into a situational guy. Um, Kind of like what I see with Tom Johnson and the way the Vikings use Tom Johnson. Journeyman type player has never truly been a starter, but they can find a way to get him into the rotation and and develop him into some packages uh, to where he can see success, not only just the entire defense. That's what I can see with Richardson in the long run. Uh, but obviously he has, I mean, he has a mountain to climb. Uh, but who doesn't love a good story? Um, <laughs> and that's virtually what we could see with, with Bobby Richardson. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. Like I said, <clears throat> when I think about the guys that aren't there, as opposed to some guys are there, and I'm not anti-Bobby Richardson. I want to make that very clear. But I'll, it was a surprise. I'll just say it that way. I was like, "Huh? Yeah, saw him a little bit on tape. Hmm, him, huh?" <laughs> that was sort of my reaction. But who knows? Maybe he'll have a great combine, and maybe he'll be, you know, a guy that everybody's talking about as he leaves. Um, about two or three more guys. So, uh, Mr. Surratt. Obviously, South Carolina has some interesting uh, talent on the D line the last couple of years. And J.T. Surratt is, I guess, another one of the guys who <laughs> sort of falls into that tradition. 
we um, earlier James and I racked our brains <laughs> to remember uh, some of the recent uh, D tackle types, including Kelsey Quarles. But getting back to uh, Surratt, uh, what do you see in him? What do you think he might be? He's another guy uh, that, for me, again, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was pretty high on. I expected him to have a good 2014, and he just didn't. Uh, right. He basically just kind of uh, uh, imploded. Um, he's a guy that I, I, I see a lot of Kelsey Quarles, uh, undrafted free agent, uh, maybe seventh-round type guy. If he tests well, has a good pro day, and if, if teams do find something that they like in him. Me right now, there's not a whole lot that I do like. I think he's a little bit bigger than what he should be uh, at 6'1". I know he's not 297 pounds. Uh, he has to be playing around 305, 3'10". Um, but he does have good hands. He has pretty good feet for a guy that moves inside, you know, within the interior. But it doesn't translate when you watch his tape um, to production. And that's the biggest thing for me uh, when I watched his tape. Uh, I You know, I kind of watched it. Uh, tried to watch it blind, uh, knowing that he was a guy that I was pretty high on, uh, only to see that what I saw in 2013 he wasn't doing in 2014 um, in terms of dominating at the line of scrimmage, shedding blocks, being aggressive, uh, basically being a backfield monster. Uh, we just didn't see that out of him. Um, and so, again, uh, like I said, uh, I do see Kelsey Quarles in him. I think he's a guy that going to take time to develop, but once he develops, he could potentially be another one of those good role players uh, in terms of situational defenses. Okay, same question for you, Jim. Uh, what do you think this guy might be? What the heck do you think kept him from becoming more than, more than he did become, and does he have a chance, or what might be his chances, or what should we look for him to do at the next level? I hate to keep the theme, but backup level guy, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, just a patient guy. Like what Josh said, uh, you bring him in, you know, coach him up, see what you got in a couple of years. If he doesn't pan out, then, uh, you know, hey, you know, here's, here's your ticket, you know. Here's your plane ticket on, you know, kind of thing. But hey. I don't see anything really that impressive. Uh Nothing too physically impressive about him, and nothing really. I mean, three tech is a possibility, but nothing eye popping. Nothing saying that he should have been invited to the combine, you know, other right. than the fact he played in South Carolina. So, right, that thing that bothers me is that when there's certain guys that you know may have a better chance, or at least an equal chance, but in my mind, a better chance to be a good professional. I don't know, whatever. Uh, moving on, uh, since so we've talked about Gabe Wright and Leonard Williams, I think we talked about Leonard Williams extensively. We talked about Gabe Wright a little less extensively. In fact, I'll give Josh a chance to weigh in on him. Um, we talked about his, his line mate a little bit, who I thought was one of the more puzzling inclusions. But moving from Mr. Blackson to his line mate, Gabe Wright, uh, what is it that has people excited about Gabe Wright? Because his tape is also, I guess the term spotty might be. The, I mean, what is it that people are the people who are excited about Gabe Wright, Josh? Why they're excited about him? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, that's the question that I'm trying to 
still kind of figure out because he's a guy that I'm not supremely high on. Uh, again, he's kind of for, for me. Uh, he sits in that in that tier two. Uh, the only thing that I could see that that teams might like is the fact that for a guy who's six three and, and probably plays around three ten or even three fifteen around that range, uh, he has really good feet. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Nick Fairley coming out. Uh, in terms of some of the things that he can do. He doesn't collapse the pocket very well. Um, you know, there, there's not very, you know, and that sounds repetitive, but there are not very many defensive tackles in this class that do collapse the pocket well. Um, and that's why those guys are considered the first-round picks um, because they have that extra trait to them. But with Gabe Wright, he can collapse the pocket at times, uh, but he's very strong at the point of attack. He has good strike, good length in his arms. Um, he does a good job of using helmet and hands, uh, disengaging from blocks. Uh, he is another one of those guys that's very active within the tackle box. Uh, and even if they play to the boundary, uh, he does have the capability to, if a player is uh, to cut back, to be able to run it down from uh, the boundary side of the field. Um, but in, in terms of everything else, I just I don't see what people are, are getting the hoopla about, about this guy. Um, you know, I think when I throw on his tape and I throw on Grady Jarrett's, uh, the really thing that really just separates them is the fact that their size is just completely different. I mean, it's another two inches and, you know, another 10, 15 pounds uh, at least. But in terms of what they do, uh, they're both fairly similar type players. Um, and you're going to get the same type of production out of them in the NFL. Uh, it's, I just don't see it really changing for him. Because uh, you, you talk about a situational guy, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, we can even talk about Sharif Floyd. We can even bring Sharif Floyd in, and B.J. Raji, uh, and Dominican Sue, Gerald McCoy, those types of defense, Haloti Nada, uh, those types of defense tackles uh, are very rare to find. Um, and in terms of a game right, you just don't see that. Uh, you don't see the complete package. You don't see the complete traits. Um, there's still a lot of things that these guys have to work on uh, within that second tier, and even some of the first-tier guys uh, to do to develop that. But with Gabe Wright being so inconsistent in his tape, uh, it brings a little bit of a red flag to me. But the biggest red flag I have on this kid is his motor. Um, I think at times he's lazy. I think at times he just gives me half-assed effort. And if you're in the NFL, if, I, if I'm going to draft you, you know, there's a lot of boards out there that have him within the second and third round range, uh, which is going to, you know, garner him, you know, at least a couple million depending on the contract. But if I'm going to pay you a couple million, uh, you better hope and pray that I don't see one snap, even if it's against the scout team, you know, in the practice facility of you taking a play off or being lazy or half-assing it because uh, that's a good way to get cut. Uh, in my opinion. Um, that's the way that, especially now that the game is changing more to a pass-happy offense, uh, you need defensive linemen, especially within the interior, that have motors. And the moment you get a half-assed effort, uh, it doesn't matter how well you're in, you know, your outside defensive ends are creating pressure. If they can step up and still deliver a clean ball, uh, you're not doing your job. Um, and that's what I routinely see in Gabe Wright's tape. But I also see that in everybody else's tape. Uh, but just not as much as Gabe Ryan. That's why I'm still not super high on this kid yet. Um, he's a work in progress for me. Okay. 
Uh, Jim, I, I believe you weighed in a little bit on Mr. Wright already, but uh, same question. It, what is it that people do see? Or what is it that is getting some people, you know, the, giving them a top 100, top 75 grade, even in some cases? Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, like, Jay Ratliff, maybe, if he does this in terms of, like, his vertical and broad jump, if he tests similar power-wise, I doubt that on tape. Um He's not going to be as tall as Ratliff either. Um, and Ratliff is a guy oh, that, good. <laughs> you know, Ratliff had his moment in the sun. Uh, and then he kind of, you know, he's on fairs now. So um, he, he's um, Ron Edwards from Texas A&M, another guy, kind of similar. Um, Ricky John Francois, right, LSU. Yep. Um, there's a pattern here, as you can see, SEC defensive tackle that get drafted because they're great and then they enter the NFL and then they're kind of, uh, okay. Um, solid maybe, um, with right. I don't get it. Um, people who do get it point to gifts. And like I said, there's a big gift community in draft Twitter where you can't get, get it's, it's the thing I argue with PC view over a lot because, you know, he'll point to a gift showing Devin Funches. He's like, look at him separating, get zone coverage. Or look at him separating, get this and that. I'm like, yeah, but that's one play. And it kind of extrapolates one play onto a guy's career, um, which, you know, I mean, that's kind of what he does. And he does movement-based stuff. But with me and Wright, I don't see it. Um, and he is going to be what he was in college, a rotational pass rusher, tackle type. That's what he was at. Auburn is most likely going to be in the NFL. And if he becomes more than that, I don't think I'm going to lose sleep over it. So, no, I, don't think I don't think I'm going to be upset because I missed on Gabe Wright. I, I don't. Um, I think that scares me. Got it. Okay, last, um, almost least, but last for us will be the lovely, the talented Latarius Walter from Central Michigan. And this is another guy that I'm not going to say I was shocked, but I was like, hmm, I didn't have him rated as my number one D tackle in his conference, but uh, maybe I'm missing something. Uh, Josh, first of all, what is it that caused the people to run the combine to say, this is the guy we're bringing, this is the Mac D tackle we want? Well, I think the biggest thing is uh, his production. And, you know, I think, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. Uh, these guys aren't stupid. Uh, so, I mean, they, they know and they do a very good job of who and who not they're going to invite. So some of these players who got snubbed, there has to be, at least in my general understanding, has to be a reason behind that. Uh, but with this cat, man, uh, I mean, you're talking 6'5", 321. He's big. Very aggressive. I mean, this dude... He's going to surprise people. Um, I think he's going to test better than what people expect him to. I think he's going to look a little bit better than what people expect him to. Do you think, uh, he, might, you think he might trim up a little bit? Because he, he looked a little soft at times. I mean, not soft as a player, but soft as a body. Yeah, he he does, you know, and he's another one of those guys, uh, like an Xavier Cooper, does look, you know, even though he's only 298, he does look kind of soft. Gabe Wright's another guy that looks kind of soft. 
Uh, I would expect him at the combine, if he weighs in around, you know, 315 or even 310, I'm okay with that because at 6'5", that's still a pretty good-looking D-tackle. I mean, you know, so you don't have to necessarily worry about it there. Uh, But, again, with this kid, what I want to see is how strong is he? What's he going to rep out at? Uh, Because, again, people people forget and just don't truly, I I think at times, understand what the 225 bench press test is all about. It's not just about how strong you are. Yeah, it's great if you can do it, you know, like, you know, if you can pull a Stephen Paya and, you know, rep it 50-some times, almost 60 times, uh, that's great. But what it also shows is it's showing your endurance. It's showing your your upper body muscle endurance. It's showing your lung capacity. Because from a guy who's who's done the 225 test, it's not easy. <laughs> so once you're getting into the 20s and 30s, you really have to make sure that your breathing is on pace. It shows that you have, you know, that good flow and control within your body. But, again, it shows that when the game keeps going on, you know, because let's let's be real. If if I'm going to look at a defensive tackle, uh, particularly within rounds one through five, uh, you're a guy that I there's a reason why I drafted you. So you're you're not just going to play one or two special teams snaps. No. Uh, you're going to be a role player. And if you're really good or you impress me really well and you get lucky because you have an injury in front of you, you're going to play a, a ton of snaps. And so how is your body going to control? Are, are you going to get fatigued? Are you going to be tired? Are you going to get lazy? And that's what the 225 test, when you really, truly sit and look at it, shows you. It shows whether or not this player has good muscle endurance, whether or not he has good lung capacity, which also shows just kind of the condition that he's in uh, physically. It's going to show whether or not he gets lazy, because let's be honest, again, it's very easy to half-ass 225. You can you know, hit it off your chest and have your arms go at a 45-degree angle 60 times, that's not going to be the same doing a complete walkout for 60 times. Uh, That's the truth. Right. So that's really what this test is going to show, and that's what I want to see from this kid. Because if he shows that he has the strength, you know, if he reps anywhere between 20 and 25 times, uh, this kid's going to be in it. And, again, the biggest thing with him, again, is going to be whether or not he shows that his hips are fluid in the process, of doing the on-field drills. I want to see how he turns and runs because it doesn't matter uh, if you're an interior defensive lineman or a defensive end or an outside linebacker or a linebacker. Uh, there is going to come a point in time in the game where you have to turn and run. And if you can't turn and run, then I can't trust you. And so that's really what I want to see from this kid because I haven't had a chance to see it on his tape yet. Got it. Same question for you, James. One, um, what do you think it was that – attracted the attention of the selectors to bring him there and two uh what are you looking for from him what do you what do you think he ends up doing and what could he be at the next level um i i don't know um what they saw um i i know he's a big guy he's big um he's big he's gonna have a good speed score because of how big he is um so he's gonna not really gonna run that fast but he's gonna run at a certain speed that for his size is pretty good um, production-wise, he actually wasn't that productive. Uh, and this is coming from a guy where there were SEC guys that, you know, were like Tyson Jackson and the SEC produced more than Terry Walton at Central Michigan. Um, you know, uh, 
Sebastian Puha from Utah. Yeah, right? there we go. <laughs> that guy. Uh, which, hey, Sebastian Puha. Hey, there you go. Something could happen there. Um, I don't know power numbers with him. Um, in terms of the bench press, which is kind of interesting that he brought that up because I was looking at bench press, so at least for offensive tackle, there wasn't a big difference between guys who did 21 and above on the bench. But um, I, I definitely do agree that, you know, you could say it's a test of endurance and stuff like that. But um, so I don't know. We'll see what he does. <laughs> we'll see what he does. But I, I don't know. More and more arm length, bench press type stuff, uh, I think some of that stuff gets emphasized too much at times. Well, let me um, ask you this. Have you done a sort of cross uh, – how do I put this? Yeah, I did arm length too. I did the arm length stuff as well, like looking at like, okay, long arms, right? And Guys who have press. long arms and have 25 or more reps. Exactly, right. Right. I did that. No difference. Oh, okay. Just thought I'd uh, ask. <laughs> okay. Um, it was – there definitely were guys who had shorter arms who ended up repping a lot. But then again, there were also other guys who did the same. So it's, like, theoretically, it makes sense, I guess, but I don't really think it has, like, like sure, there's not a lot of guys with 36-inch arms that are repping out 40-plus, but right. at the same time... But even, but even 30-plus, I mean, that's what I was sort of thinking, like, if a guy who has 36 or 35-even-inch arms and does 30 reps, I would think, I was just, I was wondering, how do those guys tend to pan out, or do oh. they? Um, well, you want to start at 35 or do you want to start? Well, you tell me. I mean, you're the. (laughs) I know, but I mean, like, where do you want the arm length to start is my basic question. Okay. So, except what's the top 10 percentile is what? Is that, is that 35? Is that? Top 10 percentile is 38. Oh, wow. For, for guys who are 36 inch, 35 and above, 38, that was Russell O'Connell. Oh. 36. Well, not 30, he had 38 reps on the bench. Yeah, that'll do for a guy with that with that arm length. There was <laughs> Andrews, there was Tyron Smith, Carl Nix, right? Cordy Glenn, Greg Robinson, Chris Harston. They, you know, right. Um, so for the Lane most Johnson, part, those guys those guys tended to work right. out. Right. Um, but then again, 21. Bobby Massey had 21. Juwan James had 21. DJ Fluker had 21. Max Starks had 21. Um, King Dunlap had 21. So, I mean, you definitely could say that that impact, you know, but, um, you know, I I think maybe, you know, I, I just don't think it has as sure. huge of an impact, you know, right. overall down decisive. the line. Right. I get it. Yeah. It's not Between a, it's not a career determining up. thing. Right. Just in quality and quantity is what I'm trying to say. Does that make any sense? So, it you know, I mean, there's definitely noticeable differences, but there's not as it's not as impactful as you might think. Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, before we wrap, yeah, are some guys that you think? I mean, obviously, we always talk snub or whatever term we want to use, but are some guys that you wish had been there amongst the D tackle class that aren't there, Jim? Guys that you would have liked to have seen who didn't get invited? Oh, um, sure. Um, Travis Rossidi. Um, definitely. 
I think should have got invited. Um, Quayshawn Buckley at Idaho. Yeah, there we go. I like him a lot. Uh, yeah, I like him. Uh, I think he should have got invited. Um, trying to think of a few other guys. Oh, Christian Ringo at Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, there we go. Well, you're naming my guys. You're naming my guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all your guys, yeah. Uh, him. Um, Austin uh, Tietzma, Illinois. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he's okay. He's not that great, but he's okay. Um, and uh, mm, I don't think Anthony Zettel is uh, – I mean, he's, he's more of a D-end, though. Um, yeah, right. Um, Marcus Harrison got invited as a defensive end. So I don't really, even though it's a defensive tackle, but whatever. Um, Kilgoy. Oh, Darius Kilgoy, too. I think he probably should have. Maryland, yeah, yeah. As well. And Eric Crum from Syracuse. Okay. Of those guys. I think all those those guys could have got over, like, I'll I'll just name the guys. Um, Angelo Blackson. Yes, thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, Uh, Gabriel, I yeah, it's tough to say. Eh. <laughs> right, uh, JC Sirach. Yes. Um, I'd say I'd say LT Walton, but he probably should have just done it at his pro day, you know. Um, uh, Leon Orr definitely. Yep. Um, hmm. That's about it, unless. Some yeah. of the defense ends. There was there was a ton. They invited way more defensive ends than defensive tackle. At least yeah. Listed. Yeah, they did. So but they they love. Yeah. Just like draft Twitter, um, the real people love this particular edge class. Obviously. Um, same question for you, Josh. Are there guys that you think think got missed amongst the defensive tackle class? Guys that aren't there that you think should have been. There is not uh, any defensive tackles that I thought shouldn't be there. However, I can't not give you guys a name. Um, so I will tell you one player to keep an eye on okay. is Zach Wagaman, the defensive end out of Montana. Um, well, he's, he's he's there. He got he got invited. Yeah, and that's what I'm telling I'm telling you oh, guys, when you oh. guys watch this, keep an eye on that kid because I'm telling you, he's going to test through the roof. Um, this kid can – he can play. Uh I've had a chance to not only play against him in high school, but I've also watched all of his college tape, uh, <laughs> being because I, I know the, the coaching staff at the University of Montana fairly well. And the, the kid's awesome. Uh, in terms of FCS guys, uh, there would have been a he, he would have been my number one player that I would have uh, called out if he didn't get invited. Um, you know, everybody likes that, uh, you know, that Ryan DeGere or DeClaire from – Collinsland, everybody likes Kyle Emanuel, but I'm telling you right now, in terms of technique and fundamentals, as a pass rusher, you're not going to find a better guy. Uh, his technique and his tape is awesome. So, hell, even if you guys want to do it before, <laughs> I would, I highly suggest you guys taking on his tape because yeah. he, he is going to test well. Um, I, I, have watched, I have watched him. I watched some of the playoff games. Um my only question is, and of course you would know better than I would, but is he? He doesn't. He doesn't. I'm just looking at him walking around and stuff. He doesn't look terribly powerful. Now he might be, and I'm just missing it. He looks no, like a technician. He's, he's very stretched out. Um, 
he doesn't have that muscle mass that you would expect. Like, uh, you know, I, I talked to my buddy uh, who, who played linebacker there about him just to get a little bit more dirt, and he said that the, easy, the, the best player that he can compare to coming out is Corey Beerman. But even if you try to compare him to Croy Beerman in terms of technique and fundamentals, mm-hmm. he's light years beyond Croy. Uh, the thing wow. Croy did on him is that Croy looked the part of a defensive end yes. slash outside linebacker. But right. he's a little bit longer. Uh, he'll probably more than likely, depending on – I mean, he, he looked pretty solid at the NFLPA uh, when I was down there. Uh, he looks like he's around 260. I expect him to weigh around 260, 265. He was 255 uh, at Montana this season. Um, but, no, he, he doesn't look the part. And he's, he's one of those guys, too, that's a tweener. Uh, you don't know if he's going to be a stand-up outside linebacker or if he's going to be a guy with his hand in the dirt. I like him as a guy with his hand in the dirt because that's what he's done at Montana uh, for his entire career. And, again, uh, the easiest thing to add once you get to the next level is size. Uh, It's very easy to put muscle on. It's a lot harder to learn technique. But, yeah, like I said, he's a guy that I would tell each and every one of you, uh, even to all the listeners, that you have to at least take a look at this kid because he's going to surprise people. And uh, I watched enough of him already to say that he is the best FCS defensive lineman out there uh, in terms of uh, edge rushers. But I also think that if he tests well at the combine and has a great pro day, um, you're going to see him jump, I think, higher than what you saw Croy get drafted when he came out, and I believe wow. it was 07 or 08, which was the fifth round, and also Jordan Tripp last year who went into the fifth round. I think he could be a, a fourth-round pick um, okay. just based off his tape alone. That's not being biased. Uh, biased, if I wanted to be biased, I'd say that uh, – best pass rusher in this class, but that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's uh, neither here or there, and it would be erroneous, but no, uh, the kid's a freak, but even, you know, before I uh, say that too, uh, Kyle Emanuel is a great player in his own right, again, he's another one of those guys that I've had a chance to see face-to-face uh, actually play live, um, but again, in terms of technique, uh, Wagman is above and beyond everybody. Yeah, I he is a guy that I was impressed with. Like I said, the only question I had was just actual physical strength. And since we're, you know, since it's, we're all having our Homer moments, I'll, I guess I'll throw in Lyndon Trail. Um, and I guess the thing I will say is he is not quite the technician that your guy is, but no. he's got he's got the length and strength, man. He, that oh, length, he does. Uh, and another reason why I like that, too, is uh, if you've never really heard his story, uh, he was a walk-on at the University of Montana. He wasn't even offered a scholarship. Um, ends up getting a scholarship, uh, I believe, by a sophomore year. Becomes their all-time, at the end of this season, became their all-time leader in sacks and tackles for loss, uh, which were like, uh, was, again, I was talking to my buddy, he said it was 30 or 40-year-old record. But this is the story that has really made me believe that he's going to be good. Uh, it was about... Two and a half years ago, uh, so this was still when I was, this was the summer when I was going into my senior year, and I got a text from my buddy, and we were talking, and he said uh, they had 6 a.m. Wake, uh, workouts uh, at the University of Montana 
and the first part of the conditioning was going to be stadium stairs uh, inside of Washington Grizzly Stadium. And if you've never been inside of Washington Grizzly Stadium, you do not want to do stadium stairs, yet alone at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, in the middle of the mountains because they house about 34,000 fans. So that's a lot of stairs that you have to run. He got to the stadium from his apartment at about 5.30. Stadium lights are already on. Walks into the stadium to get into the tunnel to go up to the locker room. And Zach's already there running stairs. And he's been there since 4.15. Uh, and then continued to go out throughout the workout. Uh, so that's kind of a story for me, uh, and that was before he even earned a scholarship. So that was kind of the story that kind of put it over the top for me in terms of uh, you know that this kid does have the drive to succeed and become the best, and it's proven when he watches tape. Uh, that's kind of really why I've, I've kind of uh, really jumped on this kid's bandwagon, other than the fact that, you know, he's a Montana guy, so you have to root for the Montana kids uh, in terms of that. Um, well, what I'll say from all those guys, you know, from Montana and all the guys, even, you know, the adjacent areas, uh, the North Dakota, South Dakota, all those guys, um, they they have a toughness. And maybe it's because where they grew up or how they grew up, but you don't see anybody – who you have any doubts about how much they want to play, how badly they want to be good. None of those guys that I've seen come from out of there, you know, whether you mention Emmanuel, whether you mention Tripp, whether you mention, um, you know, Beerman, if you want to go back a few more years. Uh, well, you can even talk about, uh, you can even bring up Zach Zinner. Sure. Uh, you know, being a South Dakota guy. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's blue collar, man. That's how we are up here. It's all blue collar toughness. That's another reason why I love uh, love watching prospects from not only small schools, but guys who grow up in the rural areas, not just, you know, Montana, North Dakota, and stuff like that. But you can even tell uh, from some other players who grew up in the rural areas is they have that just straight-out blue-collar toughness about them. Uh, words that you would say would be old school. Uh, it would be old yeah. school. Right. <laughs> type of take on it. And uh, it I don't know. It's an intangible that you can't judge. Uh, you either have it or you don't. But I love the fact that, you know, a lot of these players do have it because it makes it very fun and very entertaining to watch their stuff. Sure. And I think they have an appreciation of, the, as you said, I mean, you're talking about a walk-on, which is amazing to me, you know, that that nobody thought that this guy – you know, is going to be good enough to offer him a scholarship. That's it's a great story, as you said. Oh, and a lot he, of, was only, he was only two hundred and five. That what I heard, two hundred five or something coming up. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, he was only two fifteen as a senior. Uh, it had very average senior numbers, but being a Missoula kid, I mean, everybody dreams that you know. It's like, you know, if you grew up in Tuscaloosa, the one place you want to play when you grow up would be Alabama. Uh, that's kind of how it is if you live in Missoula or Bozeman. Uh, you don't care if you have to walk on. You want to be a part of that that tradition and that program. And that's kind of how it, it was with him, at least from talking to him. I've had a chance to um, – because we're doing a, a pretty cool prospect profile on him uh, over at, you know, NGSC Sports. And so we've had a chance to kind of get pick his brain a little bit more than, than normal and uh, just learning some of the stuff like that. Uh, that's one of the things 
that he really hammered away was it didn't matter because he said he had some offers from uh, uh, he said he had an offer from UND and then he had some Division two offers but uh, he said he wanted to stay in Montana and he wanted to, wanted to be a Grizz so yes and, and he'll he'll obviously one day be in you know the Hall of Fame there he's I, I mean I agree he's a very interesting prospect and. You know, I, I'm high on him. I don't know if he, I mean, if he tests as well as you say, you know, he, he, he'll he test it. I, I may I may come around to your way of seeing. Um, I do like uh, DeLair from, uh, DeLair from um, Towson. Uh, and like I said, obviously my guy, you know, Lyndon Trail, because Lyndon Trail's just – it's funny, he mentioned it himself. He said, I'm just getting to scratch the surface. Your guy yeah. is further along. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's good campaign by him. That's it's a good I campaign, but I think but I think it's also some truth to it because there's some truth to it. But I mean, the agent kind of got into that because people might go, "Well, he's he's older, he's 23." Well, yeah, but I've only been playing for a couple of years. Right. Exactly. See, so right. I, I I understand what you're saying, but he. Thanks. If you watch him play, you can tell. I that know. Just, I like the trail. I like. No, I mean he is just figuring certain stuff out. He's not as far along as yeah. even some guys younger than him are. Yeah, but Bill Belichick's going to draft him in day two because you know. Oh. Her, her. <laughs> uh, oh. And he's <laughs> going to have Collins and Lyndon Trail roam oh. around doing the thing. Yeah. Oh boy, that would be scary. Because that actually would be a oh, – because he oh. – And not only that, Pittsburgh's going to have him on the board, and they're going to pass and take uh, – No! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Jim Coburn. Oh, your cruel cruel streak is showing. Um, well, first of all, before I forget, Josh, a pleasure to have you with us. Um, if you're available tomorrow afternoon, love to have you for that as well. But first of all, uh, tell people what it is you're up to where they can find your work, what you're up to, all that good stuff. Well, right now I'm currently building all of our uh, draft stuff over at NGSC Sports uh, with Montel Hardy uh, being one of my partners in crime. And we are currently uh, having a big project, uh, releasing some mock drafts uh, here in the next couple days. We will also have some prospect profiles uh, by one of our other writers and Jamie Council uh, over there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's about it. Other than that, just kind of getting the, the draft wheel rolling uh, for NGSC Sports and getting ready to go with uh, the scouting combine and, and all that other good stuff. And you can find all my work at uh, either Zimmer underscore NFL on Twitter or at NGSCSports.com uh, on the Draft Central tab. Perfect. And... Same question for you, obviously, Mr. Coburn. Uh, people who are fascinated by your work, and I am one of them, uh, tell them where they can find your work, follow you, and what you're up to, sir. Uh, sure. You, you can find my work at allprofootballsource.com. I've been doing arm length and hand size measurements. Um, I did finish off with the tackle, offensive lineman, actually, in general. And then I did edge guys this week. And the same results, again, like – crazy uh now it was a little weaker the height at least the height hypothesis was a little bit weaker just because you know guys like Dwight Freeney right <laughs> um there's yeah. a few more guys that were kind of short uh that became really good players 
but it still was majority six four and higher edge guys were the quality like high end quality type guys and hand size and arm length um there was just again if you're like bottom five percentile arm length and bottom five percentile hand size there is question marks but if you're in that top ninety five percentile which is pretty much everybody right um, <laughs> there was no difference in the quality or the quantity of players um so it's again we're we're looking at the wrong stuff man we're basing all our stuff on like you know right just, so so what are the positions where hand size do matter is it quarterback is it wide receiver i don't know that's a good oh. question because i was talking with donovan about this uh yesterday actually we were talking on the phone and um he was talking about basketball, and that's where I really – I want to explore wide receivers and running backs and stuff like that or, and quarterbacks because, you know, on the offensive line, right, it's more so about moving people around. Right. So it's not really about jumping up and catching the football, right? So maybe arm length and maybe hand size, maybe there might actually be a correlation there if you think about it because wide receivers – you know, right. it's kind of like basketball. You're jumping, you're attacking the rim, you know, kind of in a way. Right. You know, you're going up and getting the yeah, football. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking at tight end, wide receiver, and to a certain extent, even quarterback, right. uh, hand size would probably be right. a big deal. Yeah. I think, especially hand size, I don't necessarily, I understand people say gripping the ball. I think it might actually just deal with, um, you know, the bigger the hand, the more master is, so you, you'll be able to throw the football. Correct. Right. right. You you'll know. have you have more accuracy because you can control it better and you can impart more spin. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway, so I haven't got to that year yet. I'm going to be doing defensive tackle arm length and stuff because I kind of want to do it for everybody, but I'm slowly making my way to the other position. But uh, when I, I'll be very interested to see if there is anything that wide receiver tied in at running back, uh, quarterback, um, I think there is quarterback. In fact, I'm probably going to steal some of Albright stuff. So, Albright, if you're listening, you know, I'll give you credit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know he has a big thing with all hand sizes and stuff, so I might just copy and paste that. But um, uh, but I definitely will be going to those other positions. But as far as offensive linemen go, as far as defensive linemen go, arm length, hand size, it's, meh, you know, <laughs> so significant difference in success outcomes on the football field when it comes to those things. Um, height is height is different, though. Height is, um, although it was weaker, what was crazy is it was weaker at defensive end, at least for edge rush guys. I don't know why that is 100%. It's not, it, it showed the same results, just it was weaker results in offensive tackle. But uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look at it more. But it still showed up the same that overall, um, if you're six foot three and higher, that's the sweet spot for, you know, edge guys. Um, and the special edge guys were six foot four and higher. But uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, you can check all this stuff at allpurpleballstores.com. You can also follow my Twitter, capital J, little C, uh, ah, capital J, little M, little C, little O, little B, little E, little R, little N, one. A little bit tired. So, but anyways, uh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. We will. Yeah. Yes, we will. Um, yeah, we'll have some prospects. I sent the uh, invitations out, and Donovan's going to have some guys, which he'll be confirming with me hopefully tomorrow morning when he's settled in from his travels, and it'll be a great show. 
So once again, we'll do this show again, Feeling a Draft again next week. As always, it's a, a joy and honor and a privilege, and we'll be delving cautiously, I guess, um, into the centers, offensive centers, uh, who get very little love, but they'll get some love next week on next week's show. So once again, I thank you for your time, your talents, and your attention. I thank Josh Zimmer for joining us. Uh, always great to have him. And, of course, obviously good to have you. And Donovan, uh, despite the fact that he was traveling, hopped on for us, with us for a moment. Once again, we'll do this again in one week. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.